Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Well, that's interesting. I was just uh, scanning my... my um my email before I uh, came on the air here, I've got New York Post. I haven't even opened up the article yet. It says at least seven dead after manager opens fire inside a Virginia big box store. That would be Walmart, <laughs> in case anybody's wondering. I'm not even going to in the article. I'm, I want to see uh, details as they come out later. Uh, but what I'm noticing is there's a whole bunch of, uh, of violence. There have been uh, you know, murder by knife, murder by gun. Uh, it's uh, it's becoming violent out there, and I'm wondering, of course, how many of these are illegal aliens? How many of these are, are artificial crime problems? How many of these are are even more desperate people due to the uh, uh, the brand and inflation? And so we've got some pretty crazy times. And how many of these are due to the fact that uh, nobody gets arrested? And if, even if you do, you're out. You know, the only person I've seen convicted of late, uh, what's his name, um, the the uh, Parkland shooter, uh, I should say assassin. That's a better word for it. And the, um, the murderer up in uh, Wisconsin who ran over the people during a raid. And so it, it's interesting. We are talking the other day about, uh, in fact, I think with uh, Brianna Cannon, we talked about this. And I think Wendy Arthur, we also talked about this. The idea of guilty beyond any doubt. And, and do we need a new standard of justice? Because when the guilty beyond reasonable doubt came about, the only thing they really had was witness testimony. You know, eyewitnesses, which are notoriously uh, unreliable because people see different things. They, uh, you know, you, you get five people to watch the same thing and they come up with different, you know, memories of what actually happened. And of course, the longer the, the, the time passes between when they get this, you know, on the stand, of course, the more the memory fades. Uh, but if you have with the video technology, you can replay it, you know, with a digital, uh, you know, sound audio recordings, you know, you can, uh, it doesn't change. And so the evidence doesn't change. It was DNA. You've got some pretty incredible stuff out there. So I'm wondering that, especially for the, the real death penalty advocates, which I'm not, um, not because I don't want to see you know, murders get off and roam the streets again. It's because I don't want to see an innocent person killed. This is the main reason I'm against uh, the death penalty. There are other reasons, too, that I want to live a nice, long, miserable life and have that as a deterrent for other people. You know, hard labor the whole bit. But at least if you are convicted wrongly, you know, and you don't have a death penalty, you know, you get whatever life is back to you after it's finally discovered that you're convicted wrongly. I'm thinking of Jeffrey Descovic, a friend of mine, uh, who was who has the, the Jeffrey Descovic Foundation, very much like the Innocence Project, because he was wrongly convicted for, I think, 17 years of rape and murder. And no, he didn't do it. You know, well, he, he won't get those 17 years back, but at least he gets his life back. So what if, what if capital punishment had taken his life? So, I mean, how much more of an injustice is it to kill an innocent person? Well, there isn't. So that's why we do it. You know, the, the, uh, those so-called technicalities, those things in law that people are always saying, well, they got off on a technicality. Like what? What, the Constitution? The Fourth Amendment? The Fifth Amendment? Which, which, which kind of technicality are we talking about? It's not some trivial thing. Anyway, I just thought of that as I saw that article. That's, that's not what I wanted to talk about. In fact, I'm not sure what I wanted to talk about because it's Thanksgiving and uh, you're all on vacation anyway. So it's probably for people around the world, <laughs> so all of our international listeners. Uh, if you want to uh, Skype in, we've got a Skype line. Um, we've got usually you have to get that approved ahead of time, and I haven't checked it for a while, so I might actually do that. Yeah, let's see if I can do that during the show. See if anybody's been on the Skype line um, of late. And so I, you know, I, I, I tend to forget things that don't get used. Oh, I got to sign in. No, I'm not going to take the time to sign. I'll check it afterwards. Anyway, if you call in by Skype, 
that have to approve your account, and then you can call in directly to the show because uh, that's the, the time that we're live is directly in here. So that's how that works. We also have a couple other things, too, if you want to support us. This would be a really good uh, uh, opportunity to help support us here. We've got our regular groups. We've got our regular discounts of WIL, which stands for Right to Your Laws, at MyPillow, Grave Care, and Strikeforce uh, Energy Drinks, and those are all on the broadcast page. We also have a commercial for those. But we also have a, a Give, Send, Go account, givesendgo.com slash action radio and we also have paypal for uh, those that want to uh, um, create ads and things like that so if you, if you want to sponsor the show and our work of citizen legislation which we're pretty much it <laughs> you know you look worldwide this, this, this is the only place where you can actually um, put an idea down get it turned into a bill and be able to share it worldwide uh, with all of the legislatures with all the media uh, that you want uh, anyway, so our, our PayPal is, is paypal.com slash paypalme slash action radio. And so we're looking for more sponsors, uh, especially next year. That's going to be big because we need, uh, uh, we need to get the word out. And we've got uh, two years. I think the next two years are really going to be critical for action radio for us to be able to take our legislation, get it out there in the public, and make it a regular part of the uh, public discourse. So when anyone says, yeah, there's problems with vaccines, but there's this bill the, that would uh, put liability back on the manufacturers. Or, you know what, my taxes really are kind of high. You know, I... Why do I have to wait so long for my refund? Well, uh, well, there's a bill, you know, that says that your money is not withheld during the time you're earning your standard deduction, so you get it the year you earned your money rather than have to wait a year. That's the kind of bill we have. We have bills for a 30-day comment period for uh, uh, legislation over $100 million, so people get a chance to take a look at the, the, the bills and say, well, no, I think I want that. So that's a low enough threshold that's going to include a lot of bills, a lot of spending bills. But it's certainly we'll get the, the multi-trillion dollar ones that are absolutely uh, devastating us and causing inflation. So all these things are happening. And uh, it's, it's Thanksgiving. It's holiday time. Uh, I see a lot of Christmas lights up already. And it's cool, but it's not. It, it was really cold a few days ago. But in Florida, in the panhandle, we get a lot of cold air from Alabama, which gets it from Alaska. <laughs> it kind of works its way down, right? Jet stream drops down. And the further the jet stream drops, the colder the air gets here in Florida. And so I'm in, again, the panhandle, the upper northwest corner uh, near Pensacola, the home of the Blue Angels, which is why I want to get the Thunderbirds here in Milton, which is next door to Pensacola, uh, and so that we can have a little rivalry, which I think would be hysterical. I should call it. I'm going to make a note to myself here. Call Thunderbirds. <laughs> like, Greg, you just called the Thunderbirds? Why, yes, I do. <laughs> you know, so uh, that might be kind of fun. I think it, they would love to do... Um, and the Air Force would love to do a show right next to the Blue Angels' home. <laughs> I'm sorry, that, that just amuses me. All right, anyway, so I got a lot of things I'm, I'm going to play for you today. We've got some things to do. I've got articles to cover, and it's just me. Uh, Bill's not here. Uh, he's out for Thanksgiving. Wendy's not here. She's out for Thanksgiving. Um, half my reporters have left over the last couple of months, and so the, the, other, the two, I have two hours of Wednesday show free. I'm working on some new reports and getting some new people in here. Uh, we're thinking of an election integrity report. I'd like to have an international report uh, from Canada, possibly, and I've got uh, a new friend in England, and hopefully they'll want to do a report someday. Um, so there's a lot of things going on, and it's going to be very ex exciting the next couple of years because as Trump runs for president and as I hope to make our legislation part of his campaign platform, uh, particularly the uh, constitutional amendment, take away the power of Congress to borrow money. You know, you do that, you don't need term limits. You just don't. Uh, term limits are, are, are a band-aid. That's not the real answer to the problem. The real answer to the problem is not to replace one corrupt politician with another corrupt politician uh, who's beholden to the party, 
what you want to do is ban party membership while people are serving in a legislature as a conflict of interest because it stops people from representing the people and requires them to represent the party. That's where all the campaign funds come from and all the donors and things like that. So if you, if you uh, ban party membership when people are running for office and when they're in office, I mean, they can be outside. You know, uh, if they're not in, in uh, if they're not running and if they're not in office, they, of course, anybody can be a member of a party. I'm not banning political parties. I'm just I'm just saying that nobody should be able to be in a political party while serving in a legislature because it's a conflict of interest. So what about the parties themselves? Well, it's pretty simple. They can raise and spend all the money they want, just like they're doing now. But instead of giving it to a candidate, they spend it on behalf of the candidate. And it's very clear. So they would say the Republican Party, or some of it, supports Donald Trump, and here's why, and they have a big commercial. Or the Democrat Party supports you know, Marxism, communism, uh, an overage uh, person with uh, obvious dementia who we're going to put in there because he'll say anything. You know, I mean, it, that's maybe a little more clear than they're going to be, but that's the point. The point is that parties should spend on behalf of candidates but give no money to candidates. And, and hopefully the news media will make available space for interviews and debates and things like that. And I'll think of Britt Hume the next um, – uh, debater as the next moderator. Um, I think he'd be uh, uh, quite interesting. You know, Brit Hume would moderate the debates. And, and just, you know, intelligent, learned people uh, who are not particularly representing a point of view. Uh, Jonathan Turley, the, the constitutional lawyer, would be a great person to uh, host the debate. Slightly liberal, though, is, I, I think he'd be fair. Uh, who'd be another good person to uh, uh, host the debate? Let me see who he, who's out there. Tom Fitton <laughs> might be interesting. Judicial Watch. Uh, Mark Levin from his own show. He'd be interesting to host debate. So we need about 30 to 40 years of conservative hosts to balance all the leftist hosts that have uh, you know, held the previous debates. All right. So let me, uh, like I said, I've got a ton of things to play for you here, things I haven't played for, for a long time. And so I'm going to go through most of my list of stuff because it's just me. So I can show you some of the things I've been working on, some of the things I've been having fun with. Uh, I think at this time I'll take a musical, our first musical interlude. I have many of these. You know. So I put a bunch of stuff on here. And if it was too long, that was, uh, uh, that was kind of pretty. I got that one here. Have I played that one? Oh, I got a few. Where, where were some of my new ones here? Um, let's see if I can put you in a uh, – oh, let me give you a Bach cello concerto. This will put you in a, in a decent mood for today's activities. I'll be back. <laughs> to a rather strange note. Isn't that interesting? So again, uh, music's a big part of my world, and so I do a lot of things with music, and that's, that's why, just because it's, it's fascinating to, uh, to listen to. That's cello. Uh, cello is the um, 
second of the largest of the strings, with the string bass being the largest of the string instruments, the cello being the one that you still sit down and play. Uh, that's what a sting of the police. He was trained as a classical cellist, uh, so it was not that big a transition to bass, as he already knew the intervals of the strings. Uh, and then you get from cello to viola, and then from viola to violin. And so that's how that works. So that's your basic, uh, you know, string quartet would be those four. Um, so, yeah, I got a lot of experience in classical music. I played in an orchestra. I was a tuba player uh, through high school. And uh, what was interesting about classical with tuba is the parts are, are amazingly boring. So I never pursued, you know, tuba as, as a uh, musician because the parts are too boring. I mean, they're just dull. Uh, so I play uh, string bass parts. <laughs> they're much more interesting. Uh, try playing string bass parts on a tuba. Well, it's easy to do. It's the same range, so you know, it wasn't that that difficult. But there's a lot more notes. <laughs> so it's kind of fun, kind of fun there. So let me um, pull up something here that I just hit by accident before the show too. Because you know me, I noodle. I noodle around the internet, going, hmm, what? You know, it's like I feel like Arsenio Hall. Hmm, what makes me say hmm today? And while I was going, hmm, we have a little controversy here in Santa Rosa County, Florida, because there are those of us who do not want voting machines, and we think they suck. Uh, in fact, there's a petition out there, um, hopefully by, um, by my future, we'll see, um, an integrity reporter um, to get rid of the voting machines we have here. And I was looking, in fact, I put a, um, a thing in the search engine. What is the safest, uh, most honest voting machine? Because <laughs> you know, I, I, I like to have a replacement. If we're going to get rid of our DS200s, I want to have a replacement. Well, funny you should say that as soon as I put up the, most, the safest and most honest voting machine, up pops the DS200. <laughs> which is the one we use here, which is the one we're trying to get rid of. And it's from Verified Voting. So they have an E and S DS200. So I guess they're different models. What's ES? Electronic Surveillance? <laughs> What's S? You know, uh, uh, I don't know, whatever it is. Anyway, it's called a, it's called a hand-fed optical scan tabulator. But apparently it has a modem and it can be connected to the internet, I think. I, but I don't see that in the, in the uh, stuff here. So we're going to have to research. This is, what, this is the corporate propaganda. The ES200 is a ballot scanning device. It is used most often to support polling locations with voters who hand-mark paper ballots, typically distributed at the polling place, uh, and then hand-feed the paper ballots into the scanner in order to cast the ballot. Ballots can be inserted into the DS200 in multiple orientations. This is interesting. Face up, face down, header first, footer first. The device simultaneously scans the front and back of the paper ballot, interprets voter marks. Don't you love that word, interpret? Supreme Court does that too, by the way. Uh, and then it says, and communicates any issues that require the voter's attention back to the voter through an LCD display. Now, I got news for you. I, I watched this machine. I didn't see a single LCD display. I just didn't. I don't know where they are, but I didn't see one. I looked on the machine. In fact, I wanted to uh, look for some results of, of what I put into it. And, of course, they don't show you anything. Maybe the LCD screen, screen doesn't face the voter in Santa Rosa County, Florida. That would be something to, to talk about. Anyway, so it scans and interprets. Uh, and then communicates any issues. Da, 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 da. DS200 uh, scanner can also scan and tabulate machine marked summary cards. Well, that's interesting. Uh, so this thing does a lot of stuff. Uh, and here's, where the, here's the part that got me it says that uh, can scan uh, the ES Express Vote ballot marking devices in jurisdictions that use this device combination. Oh, here we go. Well, let me start again. DS200 scanner can also scan and tabulate machine marked summary cards printed by ENS or ESS express vote ballot marking devices. Hmm. Just, I guess that's a, that's a touchstone screen, uh, touch, touch screen. It says in touchstones, a phone, <laughs> sorry, in jurisdictions that use this device combination, instead of hand marking their ballot, their paper ballots, voters use a touch screen. Oh, that's just what I said. Okay. Display to mark their choices. And then they print a paper summary card of their choices. How can we didn't get a summary card? All right. Then it's, oh, here's the summary card it says with a QR code. 
So it prints a summary card of your choices with a QR code, so I guess you can't read it, uh, that it encodes the choices. When the paper record is hand-fed into the DS-200 scanner, it scans the QR code to interpret voter choices and record votes. There's a lot of steps here. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, why, why, why does it just scan and record the results? Why does it need to interpret? Why, can't you do, why doesn't the, the ballot have to go in one way, the proper way, face up or face down or whatever? It gets scanned the same way every time, uh, and the results aren't interpreted. They're just you know, counted. It's this interpreting word that bugs me, right? It says, besides, because the DS200 uh, device is, scanning, is a scanning device only, yeah, right, uh, and does not have features that support making choices on the ballots, uh, features that may be helpful to voters with disabilities are limited. Okay, fine. All right, I'm going to look more into this. I mean, this is, this is a propaganda piece, um, but I'm, I'm curious to know more about this DS200 machine since that's what we use here in San Rosa County. So I'll... I'll pull that up later and, and take a look. Got another article for you here. Where shall we start? Oh, this one's, one's interesting. This was on uh, One American News yesterday. Not One American News, excuse me, Lindell TV with Mo Robinson, one of my favorite new reporters, hoping to get back on her show, talking about more bills, and we'll see, we'll see how that goes. Anyway, so she talked about, she had Jeffrey Tucker on. And Jeffrey Tucker has written a very big article at the Brownstone Institute. Needless to say, I want Jeffrey Tucker on the show, too. He calls it the COVID crypto connection, the grim saga of FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried, otherwise known as SBF. <laughs> Not sure why, but I guess you know, when you get famous, so what, uh, I'll be known as what, uh, GP one day? Hey, did you see uh, Action Radio with GP? Oh, yeah, wow. Well, anyway, this is written recently. <laughs> it says uh, November 18th, so that was just, what's today? The 20, 23rd, so five days ago. Jeffrey A. Tucker, Brownson Institute. A series of revealing texts and tweets by Sam Bankman-Fried, the disgraced CEO of FTX, the once high-flying but now belly-up crypto exchange, had the following to say about his image as a do-gooder. It is a dumb game we woke listeners play where we say all the right shibboleths, I'm not sure what that is, so everyone likes us. Anybody got any a Yiddish dictionary? <laughs> What's a shibboleth? <laughs> it doesn't sound good, whatever it is, anyway, but uh, we'll find out. He says, very interesting. He had a whole gang going, a vegan worried about, oh, he had the whole game going, excuse me, I'm reading is not my best thing here. He had the whole game going, a vegan worried about climate change, supports every manner of justice, racial, social, environmental, except that which is coming for him, and shells out millions to worthy charities associated with the left. He also bought plenty of access and protection in D.C., enough to make his shady company the toast of the town. As part of the mix, there is the thing called uh, pandemic planning. Okay, this is this is a scary part, right? There is a thing called pandemic planning. Now, it's interesting that uh, Natural News, Mike Adams, has a big article on this new UN treaty uh, for the WHO, the WHO, the World Health Organization. So the WHO has a has a big treaty uh, that's uh, cradles a great pandemic planning, so that uh, they're not even for pandemic. They're just going to plan it, right? So it might happen. So you need vaccine tra- uh, passports, you know. Uh, mask wearing permanently and a bunch of other stuff. This is really horrible. So fortunately, we have uh, we don't have to recognize that. But unfortunately, there's a lot of people in government that think we do, and that that is the problem. So we need to educate those idiots and say that no, we don't. Uh, UN treaties don't apply. Uh, if it doesn't come from Congress, it doesn't govern us. It's it's just that simple as far as federal law. And even if Congress does pass it, we still Supreme Court, and we still have our juries to uh, defend us against unconstitutional actions, elections. All right. It says as part of the mix, there's this thing called plan, pan, pan, I pandemic, pandemic planning. We should know what that is by now. 
It means that you can't be in charge of your life because there are bad viruses out there. As bizarre as it seems, and for reasons that are still not entirely clear, favoring lockdowns, masks, and vaccine passports became part of the woke ideological stew. Yeah, it's interesting that the left, the, good, the liberals, the good left, right? So you get the, the good left and the bad left. So the good left are liberals. They're, they're, they're pretty reasonable people. They, they love the country. Um, they believe in more government rather than less. They believe in more government spending and programs rather than less. And so we disagree, you know, in how to make the country better. The bad left are absolute Marxists. They hate the country. They want to destroy the country and replace it with, you know, China, Chinese communism. As you heard yesterday when Warren was on the show, uh, who does uh, Wake Up New Orleans, another talk show, was was espousing the virtues of Chinese communism, dictatorship, <laughs> slaughter of the people and everything else, uh, as opposed to the U.S. being a, a horrible place with our, you know, at least were free markets, constitution, individual rights and things like that. So it was an interesting discussion. And so if you want to listen to yesterday's show, I have to do the show. I still have to do the show notes because there's a lot on there that um, that was sort of incorporated in with many arguments. But in the end, you know, it, it really came down to the same thing I've asked a lot of people. You know, are you, are you raising complaining to an art form? Is that all you can do? What are you going to do in the positive? What are you going to do to make the situation better? Oh, you can't. Yes, you can. So listen, I actually had a, a very interesting exchange with Warren. So listen to the end of the show yesterday, especially, uh, where we did start to turn things around. Anyway, so the point is that um, masks, vaccine passports, and, and lockdowns, that's not normal. That's not the new normal. That's the old you know, dictatorship. And so uh, I, I proposed something on Facebook. And if anybody can do this and, and send a picture of results, it'd be really great. So put on one of those blue masks for a very short period of time because they're full of chemicals and worms and parasites and things. So you, you don't want to do this for a long time. Uh, and what you want to do is breathe through that mask onto a Petri dish. And if you can breathe through the mask onto a Petri dish, you know, and then wait, you know, 24, 48 hours and see what grows, we'll see how effective the masks, the masks really are at stopping viruses. Because if you breathe through the mask, onto a Petri dish, and all kinds of stuff is there the next day, <laughs> which is what I'm expecting, quite honestly, then that mask isn't really doing a lot of good. So that would be a good thing for, for the, the uh, conservative, independent groups, the health groups, the pups, and say, see, look what happens when you breathe through a mask onto a Petri dish. Nothing should be there. If the mask works, nothing should be there, right? Because the mask works. It should trap everything you know, inside the mask so you have to breathe it again, back in. That's another story. So it says, as bizarre as it seems, and for reasons that are still not entirely clear, favoring lockdowns, masks, and vaccine passports became part of the woke ideological stew. He says, this is particularly strange because COVID restrictions have been proven over and over to harm all the groups to whom woke ideology claims to care so deeply. That includes even animal rights. Who can forget Danish mink, the Danish mink slaughter of 2020? Yep. So uh, my contention is that... Uh, the masks, the lockdowns, the school closures were designed for one thing, and that was to preserve COVID, not to kill it. If you want to kill it, if the government wanted to kill COVID, they could have just prescribed um, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, vitamin D3, vitamin C, uh, and zinc. If they wanted to get rid of it, that's what they had to do. They knew that. They didn't get rid of it. They wanted to preserve it until they got into vaccines, and now they're going to preserve COVID through vaccines, so they'll sell even more vaccines. Notice how many people have gotten sick, uh, injured, and died who had the jab as opposed to, I mean, when's the last time you heard somebody that had no jabs at all, none, um, die of COVID? I, I can't think. Fact, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to remember uh, any time uh, a person who had not been vaccine injured uh, has died from COVID. What happened? I mean, I just, I just can't think of a particular uh, instance. All the folks I know, all the public figures that appear to have been uh, vax takers, as was proven by earlier slides of them. 
He says, regardless, it's just time. Masking became a symbol of being a good person, same as vaccinating, veganism, and flying to fits at the drop of a hat over climate change. None of this has much, uh, if anything, to do with, the, with science or reality. It's all tribal symbolism in the name of group political solidarity. And FTX was pretty good at it, throwing around hundreds of millions to prove the company's loyalty to all the right causes. Well, actually, be all the left causes. But that's kind of interesting. Anyway, we'll play on words there. He says, among them included the pandemic planning racket. That's right. There were deep connections between FTX and COVID that have been cultivated for two years. See, all that, I thought the whole thing was planned out. I mean, Judy Mikovits pointed out, pandemic. This has all been planned out. None of this is an accident. What, you think uh, all your freedom disappeared by accident all at the same time? No. This is well-coordinated ahead of time. Uh, in fact, who was I was talking to? There was someone about, you know, some measure, and, and, and it's like, why did you know this was coming? Oh, the censorship, uh, the, uh, the Hunter Biden laptop. All right, so, so, so little Brandon, little Brandon's laptop, um, apparently the story was censored on that within hours of, of it first breaking. I think either Breitbart or I forgot who broke the story. Whoever, or Epic Times, one of those folks. Whoever broke the story, or even the New York Post, right? It was gone. It was gone within a few hours, which means that all social media had already been pre-warned that, or warned ahead of time that when this story comes out, you need to spike it. You need to get rid of it. And they dutifully did, even though it was true. So it says, earlier this year, the New York Times trumpeted a study that showed no benefit at all to the use of ivermectin. It was supposed to be definitive. The study was funded by FTX. Why? Why was a crypto exchange so interested in the debunking of repurposed drugs in order to drive governments and people into the use of patented pharmaceuticals, even those like remdesivir that didn't actually work? Inquiring minds would like to know. Let me read you that question again. The study was funded by FTX. Why? Why was a crypto exchange so interested in the debunking of repurposed drugs in order to drive governments and people into the use of patented pharmaceuticals? Well, money, right? Even those like remdesivir that didn't actually work. And so the answer is, regardless, the study um, and especially the conclusions turned out to be bogus. David Henderson and Charles Hooper further point out an interesting fact. Here's a quote. Some of the researchers involved in the TOGETHER trial had performed paid services for Pfizer, Merck, Regeneron, and AstraZeneca. Hmm. Those are familiar names. All companies involved with developing COVID-19 therapies and vaccines that nominally compete with ivermectin. <laughs> For some reason, SBF, that's a, uh, what's his name? Um, yeah, what's his name? <laughs> that guy, Freed, right? SBF just knew that he was supposed to oppose repurposed drugs, though he knew nothing about the subject at all. He was glad to find a, a, a poor study uh, to make it true, and the New York Times played its assigned role in the whole performance. All right, so repurposed. So as far as I know, a drug comes to market for a purpose. You've know, you, you got to sort of state what it's for. Uh, and it's, uh, I'll, I'll give you a good example, Rogaine. Rogaine came to the, the market as a heart medicine. Well, it was found out later that it grows hair <laughs> a lot. <laughs> so it went from, I think, a, a, uh, a prescription heart medicine uh, onto being a non-prescription hair-growing um, thing. So it's kind of interesting, but yeah. So that, that's a repurposed drug. So this original purpose was heart medicine. It was repurposed as a hair grower. So that's, that's what they're talking about here. So hydroxychloroquine that was originally done to, I think, prevent malaria, uh, also prevents COVID. And so that's why that's been repurposed. So that's, that, that's how to explain that, I guess. Anyway, we've got a doctor coming on, second uh, of many uh, interviews, uh, well, second of two interviews today that I'll be playing for you in a little bit. Anyway, it says, for some reason, SBF just knew that he was supposed to oppose repurposed drugs, though he knew nothing about the subject at all. He was glad to fund a poor study to make it true, and the New York Times played its assigned role in the whole performance. 
It was just the start. A soft-pedaling Washington Post investigation found that Sam and his brother Gabe, who ran a hastily funded, founded COVID nonprofit, yeah, right, have spent at least $70 million since October 2021 on research projects, campaign donations, and other initiatives intended to improve biosecurity and prevent the next pandemic. Uh, no, the, 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 they're, they're getting ready for the next pandemic. They're trying to cause the next pandemic. They cause this pandemic. It works. Pandemics are good business. This is I can do no better than to quote the Washington Post, which said, the shockwaves from FTX's free fall have ripped across the public health world, where numerous leaders in pandemic preparedness have received funds from FTX uh, funders or were seeking donations. Told you, follow the money. He says, in other words, the public health world wanted more chances to say, give me money so I can keep advocating to lock more people down. Alas, the collapse of the exchange, which reportedly holds a mere 0.001% of assets uh, is once, it once claimed to have, made that impossible. Among the organizations most affected is Guarding Against Pandemic, the advocacy group headed by Gabe that took out millions in ads to back the Biden administration, excuse me, the Brandon insurrection, pushed for $30 billion in funding. As Influence Watch notes, Guarding Against Pandemics is a left-leaning advocacy group created in 2020 to support legislation that increases government investment in pandemic prevention plans. Truly, it got worse. He says FTX backs project FTX backed projects range from twelve million dollars to a California ballot initiative to strengthen public programs and detect emerging virus threats amid lackluster support. The measure was punted to twenty twenty four uh, to investing more than eleven million dollars on the unsuccessful congressional primary challenge of an Oregon biosecurity expert and even a one hundred and fifty thousand dollar grant to help Monsef Slawi. S-L-A-O-U-I, SLAWI, Scientific Advisor for the Trump Administration's Operation Warp Speed, Vaccine Accelerator, uh, writes in his memoir. Leaders of the FTX Future Fund, a spinoff foundation that committed more than $25 million to preventing bio-risks, resigned in an open letter last Thursday to acknowledge that some of the donations from the organization were on hold. Well, there's more to this. Um, I might get to a little bit. I might play something for, for now. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to a couple of days off, to tell you the truth. So let's have a little fun here. Let's play, uh, what have I played for a while? Uh, I'll say the new normal church and grocery store. Let's see, I, have, I played Chaz recently. Uh, we're coming up to January, so it's probably time to play the January white sale again. So let me play that for you if you haven't heard it. This is pretty outrageous. I'll be back in a couple of minutes. Here it is, America. The answer to riots, brutality, and all our racial problems. The return of the January White Sale. Are you a guilt-ridden white person? Are you a person of no color? Do you want to finally assuage that guilt for slavery, the Civil War, the KKK, and black people sitting at the back of the bus? Well, here is your long-awaited answer. The Black Lives Matter Department of Reparations has come up with the perfect solution. The return of the January White Sale. Now, in years past, this was a big deal. After Christmas, sheets, towels, pillowcases, and other white linens were sold with their biggest discount of the year. In today's new normal world, however, things are going to be very different. Because Black Lives Matter is changing the original white sale, and now they are actually going to be auctioning off and selling white people. You, white, guilt-ridden, ashamed of your whiteness, complete cowards, bowing your heads, kneeling, raising your hands like at a revival meeting, you... You with your eyes cast down, you whimpering liberals hoping to buy your way out of a debt of guilt that can never be fully repaid because no leftist of color wants you to. 
you, you will have the chance to experience what no black person experiences in the United States today. Slavery. Yeah, that's right. Slavery. Isn't this great? You will be on the cutting edge of social justice, and you will save the taxpayers some $14 trillion of reparations national debt. Black Lives Matter has gone to a lot of trouble to erase our history and remake society so guilty white people can finally feel free of their white supremacy. George Soros and Bill Gates have already created the Venture Capital Fund to establish Race Bait Consulting, Incorporated, which will be handling the actual white person sale in January. So, who is available for purchase? Oh, and part of the deal is that white people can't be bought by other white people. That would defeat the whole theme of the event. Anyway, to the question. Your basic rifle on the pickup truck, racist, sexist, Islamophobe, Neanderthal, redneck male is probably not going to sit around and be put in an auction, even if they will be well cared for by their new owners. What we will have available are liberal, surrendering, drilly man metrosexuals and emotionally distraught and disillusioned feminists, both of whom have already knelt before a designated agent of Black Lives Matter to confess their white privilege. So how do you guilt-ridden white people sign up for the January white sale? It's easy. Contact your local chapter of Black Lives Matter, show up at a rally with a flag saying, take me for the January white sale, or simply sign up at the next mass kneeling confession of white privilege coming to a neighborhood near you. The new January white sale is made possible by a grant from Racebait Industries, Incorporated, and put on by the new normal, new improved Black Lives Matter. The fun we have here. <laughs> Let me see if I can play one more uh, quick thing for you here, just to. I have these new new um, news things to sort of get you in the in the news mood, sort of like a. I think they call them stingers. So let's uh, let's play one for you here and be right back. And now, Action Radio News presents. All 
Insights. We're back here with the Brownstone uh, Institute article by Jeffrey Tucker um, talking about FTX Corporation. And this is interesting. Let me just go back one paragraph. He says, among the organizations most effective is guarding against pandemics. The advocacy group headed by Gabe, that's, I'm not sure who Gabe is, that took out millions in ads to back the Biden administration, which I call the Brandon Insurrection, pushed for $30 billion in funding. As Influence Influence Watch notes, Guarding Against Pandemics is a left-leaning advocacy group created in 2020 to support legislation that increases government investment in pandemic prevention plans. Well, it's like pandemics are such a good business. Now they're into uh, prevention plans uh, that is going to be, they think, an equally good business. This is all about business. So this is, this is fascism. This is exactly what fascism looks like. Fascism is a merging of government and corporations into a single totalitarian entity. And so if the, the government controls uh, the government and the health companies, you know, uh, control you, the individual, that's fascism. So the, the, um, the government takes your money uh, and gives it to uh, Big Pharma to develop something that's not good for you. Uh, the, the COVID jab is very dangerous for everything I've seen. Uh, and then so that it's not safe. It's not effective. It's just the opposite. It's unsafe and, and completely ineffective. You know, you can tell by all the, all the, the public figures that get COVID after their, their multiple boosts, right? So it doesn't do what it says it does, and it does do a whole lot of damage to you. And, you know, that's why we have an immune system. Anyway, point being that the, uh, the government takes the money from you and gives it to Big Pharma to make this stuff. Uh, and then Big Pharma has no cost in developing the, the COVID jab, but they make all the profits. And, and some of those profits go back to government uh, in terms of license fees, uh, royalties, um, just payoffs. You know, who knows what else it comes back to the mess? But anyway, but it, this is a basically it's a money making thing. So then the government mandates the the vaccine, which is really a co, you know the COVID jab. I should speak correctly. So the government mandates the COVID jab, which makes big pharma rich, which makes big government rich. See how it works? It's just it, that's fascism. Fascism is the merging of corporations and government to take from you and take away your freedom. Uh, and make you buy things that you would never ordinarily buy. That's how it works. So then he says it gets worse. FTX-backed projects range from $12 million to champion a California ballot initiative to strengthen public, strengthen public health programs and detect emerging virus threats amid lackluster support. The measure was punted to 2024, so that's good. To investing more than $11 million on the unsuccessful congressional primary campaign of an Oregon biosecurity expert and even $150,000 grant to help uh, Monsef Shlaoui, scientific advisor for the Trump administration's Operation Warp Speed Vaccine Accelerator, write his memoir. So there you go. We're writing a book with your tax dollars. Great. Leaders of the FTX Future Fund, a spin-off foundation committed more than $25 million to preventing bio-risks, whatever those are, resigned in an open letter last Thursday acknowledging that some donations from the organization are on hold. Surprise. Yes, Chinese Communist Party, no doubt. Then he says, and worse, <laughs> the FTX Future Fund's commitments included $10 million to Helio, Helix Nano, that's H-E-L-I-X-N-A-N-O, Helix Nano, a biotech startup seeking to develop the next generation coronavirus vaccine. In other words, the COVID jab to give you COVID, right? $250,000 to a University of Ottawa scientist researching how to eradicate viruses from plastic surfaces, Lysol, <laughs> okay. Uh, and, uh, you know, and $175,000 to support a recent law school graduate's job at Johns Center for Health Security. What the hell is the Health Center for Health Security? Anyway, I guess that's pandemics. Well, we've got to get guard against pandemics. This is a war. We're going to have a war on germs, war on disease, war on viruses. Yeah, right. So war on W-O-V, WAV. We're going to have a WAV, war on viruses. Right? Anyway, so this is overall, the future, fund, the future Fund was a force for good. And that's from Tom Inglesby who leads the Johns Hopkins Center, lamenting the fund's collapse. 
the work they were doing was really trying to get people to think long-term to build pandemic preparedness to diminish the risks of biological threats. Well, the best way to do that is get rid of big pharma you know, and get rid of uh, public health uh, in the federal government. That would do a lot to get rid of biological threats. He says Guardian, uh, Guarding Against Pandemics spent more than $1 million on lobbying Capitol Hill. Oh, that's a good use of money. And the White House over the past year hired uh, uh, at least 25, 26 lobbyists to advocate for the still pending uh, bipartisan pandemic plan in Congress and other issues and ran advertisements or advertisements backing legislation that included pandemic preparedness funding. Project Our Future, a political action committee backed by the Bankman Freed Brothers, I guess Gabe is the brother to uh, Sam. Excuse me. This has spent about $28 million this congressional cycle on guess who? Democrat candidates who will champion who will be champions for pandemic prevention. So Democrats are in this. I mean, this is money, right? It's just tons and tons of money. And they're all in. They're all in. All right. And they want money in control. Same old stuff, money in control. Uh, and it all goes, it's like a coordinated Democrat operation. Republicans are so out to watch. They, they just don't have a clue. I mean, they really don't. They do not deserve to exist as a party. They're not a party. They're a bunch of, they're, you know, it's like, it, it's like, it's like the, the lunch party. They're on lunch. <laughs> no matter what's going on in the world, the Republicans are on lunch. They just, they're not participating in the game. All right. He says, I think you get the idea. This is all a racket. FTX founded in 2019. That's pretty recent. 2019? Well, coincidentally, that's when COVID, you know, COVID-19. Okay. Wow. What a, that was the World Economic Forum event 201. What else happened in 2019? A lot of things happened in 2019. Okay. Uh, the House uh, came into session stolen by the Democrats from uh, about eight Republicans who won in California. So, and the Republican geldings, of course, let them because they're the surrender party. So the surrender party lets Congress go Democrat in 2018. Of course, the Democrats immediately started impeaching Trump. In fact, one of them was just a voice vote. It was like a poll. <laughs> Who thinks Trump's guilty? Oh, we do. Okay, great. Yeah, you know, impeachment over. <laughs> Send it to the Senate for trial. Yeah, great. That's, seriously, that's how it happened. Anyway, it says, this is all a racket. FTX founded in 2019 following Biden's announcement of his bid for the presidency by the son of a, so, of a co-founder of a major Democrat party political action committee called Mind the Gap was nothing but a magic bean Ponzi scheme. Well, there we go. Uh, that's the same thing with FTX. It seized on the lockdowns for political, media, and academic cover. Its economic rationale was as non-existent as its books. The first auditor to have a look has written, Never in my career have I seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information as occurred here. Well, they're government-sponsored. What do you think, right? From compromised systems integrity and faulty regulatory oversight abroad to the concentration of control in the hands of a very small group of inexperienced, unsophisticated, and potentially compromised individuals, this situation is unprecedented. Okay? So now what are you going to do about it? It's unprecedented. So do something. So well, actually, it, it's, it, it is a precedent <laughs> in itself. Yeah. Jeffrey Decker says, it was the worst example of a phony perpetual motion machine a token to back a company that itself was backed by the token, which in turn was backed by nothing but political fashion and woke ideology that roped in Larry David. Not sure who he is. Is he the oversight guy? Overstock guy? Maybe somebody else. Anyway, this is roped in Larry David. Oh, no, these are people that sponsored this nonsense. Roped in Larry David, Tom Brady, Katy Perry, Tony Blair, and Bill Clinton to provide a cloak of legitimacy. Oh, yeah, line up the stars. And you can't make this stuff up anymore. FTX had a close relationship with the World Economic Forum, that is Klaus Schwab, who wants to rule the world, yeah? uh, and it was favored uh, cryptocurrency, crypto exchange of the Ukrainian government. Let me read that one more time. 
and you can't make this stuff up. FTX had a close relationship with the World Economic Forum that was favored to uh, favored the favorite crypto exchange of the Ukrainian government. That's interesting. It looks for all the world like the money laundering operation of the Democratic National Committee and the entire lockdown lobby. Told you. Big business. All planned out. I will tell you what infuriates me about these billions in fake money and deep corruptions in politics and science. For years now, my anti-lockdown friends have been hounded for being funded by supposed dark money that simply doesn't exist. I know. Believe me. If I had lots of dark money, I'd tell you about it. (laughs) I don't. So that's why give, send, go, and those other things on the page. Many brave scientists, journalists, attorneys, and others gave up their career, their great careers, stand for principle, exposed the damage caused by the lockdowns, and this is how they have been treated, smeared, and displaced. Well, those are the folks you need back. Brownstone has adopted many uh, in its uh, diaspora as possible for fellowships as, oh, okay, let's be us. Hey, let's do that. I want to join. You think I can be a part of this? This would be fun. He says, the Great Barrington Declaration was signed at the offices of the American Institute for Economic Research, which apparently six years prior had received a long-spent $60,000 grant from the Koch Foundation and thus became a Koch-funded libertarian think tank, which supposedly discredited the GBD, uh, even though none of the authors received a dime. What's the GBD? Oh, Great Barrington uh, Declaration. There we go. Okay, fine. So this gibberish and slander has gone on for years. Okay, all right. I guess I've got got kind of the gist of this here. Uh, See if I can find some more money stuff. Here we go. Uh, All the time, while every uh, type of vicious propaganda was unleashed on the world, the pro-lockdown and pro-mandate lobby, including fake scientists and fake studies, were benefiting from millions and billions thrown around by the operators of a Ponzi scheme uh, based on cheating fraud and $15 billion in leveraged funds that didn't exist while it's using leveraged funds that don't exist. <laughs> That's interesting because it's the leveraged funds that are supposed to cover the funds that uh, did exist uh, that you didn't have. It's sort of like a promise to pay later. Anyway, and $15 billion worth of leveraged funds that didn't exist while its principal, while its principal actors were languishing in a drug-infested $40 million villa in the Bahamas, even as they presented, they preened about the uh, virtues of effective altruism and the pandemic planning machinery that has uh, more fallen apart. All right, let's see if there's anything else in here I want to read. It's pretty, oh, we're almost done. Then the New York Times, instead of decrying this criminal conspiracy for what it is, writes puff pieces on the founder and how he let his quick-growing company grow too far, too fast, and now to mainly rest. <laughs> Bless his heart. The rest of us are left with the bill for this obvious scam uh, and that implausibly links crypto and COVID. But just as the money was based on nothing but puffed air, the damage they have wrought on the world is all too real. The lost, a lost generation of kids, declining lifespans, millions missing from the workforce, a calamitous fall in public health, millions of kids in poverty due to supply chain breakages, 19 straight months of falling real incomes, historically high increases in debt, and a dramatic fall in human morale the world over. That's what Action Radio is trying to change. That's why we're here. He says, so yes, we could all be furious and, and demand full accountability at the very least. Whatever the final truth, it is likely to be far worse than even the egregious facts uh, listed above. It's bad enough that lockdowns wrecked life and liberty. To discover that they, the, the vast support for them was funded by fraud and fakery is a deeper level of corruption that not even the most cynical among us could have imagined. Oh, yeah, <laughs> we could have. Anyway, Jeffrey Tucker, founder and president of the Brownson Institute, economist and author, and of course, I hope they have him down. He has written 10 books, including Liberty or Lockdown. Give me Liberty or give me, yeah, I'm ready. That's who it is. 
So we shall consider Jeffrey uh, Tucker a little bit later and play another little bit for you here. Some uh, uh, music selection. Then I'll let's see. Let's play some of I got a better idea here. Let's do a couple of these first, and then we'll be back. So yep. So take it easy and enjoy, and we'll be back. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements. And we have three minute live call-ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener and help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. This is Greg Penglis for Action Radio. You've all heard those ads for people who have suffered medical or health tragedies which say you may be entitled to compensation. But if you have suffered injuries or crippling diseases or medical procedures that went horribly wrong, it's not the compensation you need, it's the knowledge you should have had before the condition you suffer from now. So that you are never in that position in the future, I strongly recommend that you do not get any COVID vaccines. Get informed. Do your own research. For 99.97% of Americans, your natural immunity will give you, at worst, only moderate symptoms of COVID. If you've already had COVID, it's virtually impossible to get it again. There are effective cures for COVID, which will get you completely over the virus. There is no cure for the COVID-19 vaccines. 
once you start down the road of DNA modification, there is no going back. You know, it's interesting I made that. I want to play that one more time. Um, I don't play it very often because I was corrected because Dr. Judy Mikevitz, when she was on the show, uh, said very clearly that you can do things. Uh, there are uh, things. Once it's in your system, it's in your system. But uh, you can mitigate a lot of it. You can mitigate a lot of the effects, a lot of the uh, the inflammation, the, the blood clotting, and things like that. But it takes a, a pretty strong course of nutrition. And so if you want to find out how to deal with that, then you want to go to Judy Mikevitz's uh, website, therealdrjudy.com, and that's the, T-H-E, real, R-E-A-L, Dr. D-R, uh, Judy, J-U-D-Y. Uh, that's it, the real D-R, Judy, uh, at, uh, on, where is it, uh, .com. There we go, therealdrjudy.com. So that's how you find that. All right, one more thing, and then we got, I have a, a very interesting thing for you to play for you. It's a, it's a rather um, unusual, uh, it's a really good interview. It's not unusual, though. I'm sorry, I'm just... I'm trying to multitask here. <laughs> I'm actually, I don't know, I think I'm ready for a vacation. So we're off for four days. And so uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, there will be no shows. And, of course, last weekend we had a show on Saturday. And that's kind of <laughs> set the tone for the week. A little bit crazy this week. But uh, definitely I'm looking forward to four days to take it easy, get refreshed, recharged, and uh, come on back um, Monday with, uh, you know, all, all the rockets firing, all the cylinders, you know, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, back after this. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. So when I was back at WBY, this is my first full-time radio job. I'd done I did a part-time job uh, in Bakersfield for a little bit. I had uh, a little bit of college radio experience. I never, I mean, I, by the time I got to, to Bakersfield, this is uh, six months before uh, 9-11, 2001. Um, and I'd done, let's just like dabble in radio. I did some stuff. I wanted to make it a career, but I wasn't exactly sure how. And since I lived in the Bay Area, I could only do one show a week down in Bakersfield, Lewis in California. Um, and that just got too much of a commute, too exhausting. It was just, it, it was too crazy even for me. And that's saying a lot. Anyway, so there was another station in Santa Cruz. Uh, I, I did a show there. Uh, some big news event happened. It kind of changed all of my programming at the last minute. But uh, there really wasn't an opportunity for me in California just because the, the big stations, the, the people, we only had one real conservative host in San Francisco. That was Brian Sussman. Um, then he had uh, the, the feed-in shows. So what really killed talk radio, as much as everybody loves Rush Limbaugh, but um, he really changed radio. He did two things, and one thing really good and one thing not so good. The thing that, that was really good about Rush Limbaugh is that he brought talk radio to millions upon millions of people that hadn't heard it before. Helped, uh, I think, either the Fairness Doctrine, he helped get rid of it, or it was gotten rid of before him, which allowed him to have an all-conservative talk show. So the Fairness Doctrine said he had to have equal time for everything, which is stupid. 
because, you know, equal time, he used to say, I am equal time. Um, in, in the news media that's, that's leftist, equal time would be an equal amount of conservative news broadcasters. So on CNN, you know, remember Hannity and Combs was, was kind of like an equal time thing. So you had Combs the liberal and Hannity the conservative. And, uh, and they would articulate their points of view and away you go. It was popular, but only because those two were, were kind of celebrities. But, you know, in regular radio, when you were mandated to have people of opposing points of view on every show, it got really dull and boring. And it was like, you know, big fights and things like we had a bit of one uh, yesterday when we had kind of a conflict, which I don't get a whole lot of. There's not a lot of left folks that, that call the show. I mean, they're welcome to, but I want to discuss things. I don't want to argue and just have a bunch of platitudes and, and things like that. So really interesting how the conversation was turned around yesterday. So uh, please listen to that. But the point being that the Fairness Doctrine said uh, that um, it basically there was no talk radio with the Fairness Doctrine because any conservative viewpoint was immediately countered by a liberal viewpoint. And the liberal viewpoints were sort of, but you know, not really countered because there aren't that many conservatives. So Rush Limbaugh brought in conservative talk radio and so just made talk radio available to everybody. That was a good thing. The bad thing was that he so dominated so many stations that all the local hosts were fired. <laughs> you know? So you had many, many local talk show hosts all over the country um, that lost jobs because of, of syndication. So Rush Limbaugh was the first big syndicator. And then some of the other folks, Mark Levin, Laura Ingram, Sean Hannity, there's like five of them um, that, that just dominated. Uh, the airways, and, uh, and then he had some not as well known folks. I remember when uh, Herman Cain had a show for a while, and some other uh, Ken Hamblin. Uh, who else had shows that uh, were sort of like a level down a bit? Um, Gene Burns, libertarian uh, presidential candidate, and then he ended up in KGO in San Francisco. And so a lot of uh, hosts, you know, that got taken out because the, it was the newspapers. You know, when you have national media, the local media kind of gets suppressed. Now, for a long time, we had, you know, four or five newspapers for big city. You had a morning edition, the middle, a noon edition. You know, you had evening editions. There were morning papers and evening papers and afternoon papers, and they all had their niche. And, and you'd have maybe two or three newspapers a day you could read uh, at different times. Well, that was variety. That was good. Same thing with talk show hosts. You had multiple talk show stations, multiple hosts, most of whom were local. Uh, they would be in their city. And they would, and as you went from city to city, you had different hosts with different points of view, and they catered much more to local. So, so the bad part about talk radio syndication was that it took, you know, some, you know, you know I, I would say a few thousand talk show hosts across the country in many different stations, many different time zones, you know, all, all different things. Well, maybe not that many, but anyway, uh, they were reduced greatly because stations, it was cheaper just to take the syndication show and play that and then just add your commercials to it. And so that's how they did it. So syndication was great for the host, the hosts that were syndicated, but it was terrible for everybody else because they all lost jobs. So this is where I came into the environment <laughs> of radio, right, in, in big-time syndication, but I don't care. Um, they said if you want to get something done, you know, uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Jarvix, who had the artificial heart. I forgot his first name. Uh, was it Howard Jarvix? No, that Howard Jarvis is somebody else. Anyway, so Dr. Jarvix of the artificial heart. So leaders are people with a poorly developed sense of fear and no concept of the odds against them. Well, I'm not quite a leader yet, hopefully one day. But in the meantime, uh, but uh, I definitely have a poorly de- – I have no sense of fear and no concept of the odds against me, and quite frankly, I don't care. That's, that's never what the show was about. Anyway, so the point of all this is that uh, I got this incredible opportunity at WBY. And so four months after open heart surgery, I'm, uh, I spent two days loading up a U-Haul because – I had open heart surgery. I couldn't move very fast. I had to take a, a half hour break between boxes, literally half hour between every box. 
And so it took me two days to load my uh, my U-Haul and then made my way across the country with a friend of mine who didn't want to see me, you know, drop dead as I'm driving, which was really kind of nice, actually. And fortunately, um, I was in, uh, you know, so, somewhat decent health, but um, I'm not sure why, but I gained a huge amount of weight after open heart surgery. So maybe someone can explain that to me someday. Point being, came out to WBY in Milton, Florida uh, from San Francisco, California, and hadn't been here, hadn't, uh, I had never met my boss. You know, we only talked on the phone. Uh, in fact, I used to call the, the radio station and uh, pretend to be a local caller. It was really kind of funny. That's how I got the job, right? And so Mike got to know me, Mike Bates, and he hired me. And so he'd never seen me. I'd never seen him. I'd never been in this part of the country. I didn't know. I never had a full-time radio show. <laughs> you know, there's all these I've never done before, but I don't care kind of things, right? So I tried it, came out here. I, I never, you know, I, I knew I was going to be a success. I just, you know, and there's some bumpy parts because I was new. So Mike had to so say, Greg. Let me tell you a little bit about radio. We need to we need to have a little chat here. So we, we had a few of those little chats, and actually he really helped me. And so hopefully I've worked out those kind of bugs. But anyway, the point is that uh, I got an amazing opportunity. I love that job. I was hoping to retire from WEBY, you know, some 30 years, you know, after starting uh, March 1st of 2017. But another station bought WEBY, and uh, that was the end of my uh, my career there. And so I was only there for one year and four months. And, but in that year and four months, some amazing things happened. I got to talk to the most incredible people. I still believe that had, had the station remained independent and my show been allowed to continue, we'd be huge now, massive nationally, even despite the censorship, because we were starting, you know, we'd rounded that curve. People had known about the show. They knew what we were doing. I had fabulous guests. People called in. They're really appreciative. And things are going really well. I mean, they were going really well. And so because of that, um, I was able to attract some some pretty incredible people across the country. One of those folks is Ben Garrison. So for those that uh, love editorial cartoons, Ben Garrison is one of the best. And he uh, he lives, I think, Wyoming somewhere. So he's out in the boonies because everything's electronic now. So he can he can practice his editorial cartoon art and not have to live in a big city, which is the way it used to be. So I got to talk to him. So m- what I do with these classic interviews, uh, this one first aired uh, March 3rd. Uh, of 2017, so no, 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 hang on, mm-hmm. May 3rd, excuse me, May 3rd of March of, of uh, 2017. So it, I've been on radio two months. <laughs> okay, so my vast radio full time, my vast full time radio experience of two months, and I got this incredible guy Ben Garrison on, and we're talking about. Well, I'll, I'll let the interview speak for itself, but uh, talking about editorial cartoons. So if you want to see him, he's at Gur Graphics, and that's G R R R Graphics dot com. Gur Graphics. He's censored. He's banned. He's blocked out. He's, you know, like all of us are. <laughs> all of us interesting, conservative, uh, patriotic, uh, independent folks um, get uh, blasted out of the, the leftist, the, the Marxist media. They also have Carlin that. The Marxist media has got kind of a ring to it. Anyway, I'm going to play this. Uh, it's uh, about 43 minutes, and I take out the commercials, take out uh, some of the identifiers, but uh, you'll, you'll hear a couple of times WEBY, you'll hear a wrong phone number. Our phone number here is 215-383-3832. That's 215-383-32. Their number is six something. I forgot what it was. So let me play this for you, and I uh, hope you find it interesting. I'll be back in a little bit. It's time for the Action Radio Hour, 8.06 in the morning. 
and a very special guest. Uh, we've never met, never talked, but uh, this is going to be, I think, very, very fascinating. So uh, let's introduce our guest now. And, of course, you're always welcome to call at 623-1330. Our guest is an independent political cartoonist based in northwest Montana. He began drawing cartoons in 2009 to protest the central banker bailout, bloated government, and the slide towards tyranny. His cartoons have been seen by millions around the world. He is not part of the mainstream media, and editors do not tell him what he can or cannot draw. Please welcome our very special guest, Ben Garrison. How's that for an intro, Ben? Hello, Greg. Hi. Did you get all, did you get all your music and applause there? Uh, yeah, I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> I do have some fun. So first of all, thank you so much for coming on my show. It's, it's a pleasure to talk to you. I have so much to ask you. Um, but uh, yeah, welcome. Thanks so, for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. So Montana, uh, are you? Do you want to get away from uh, the rat race, the big cities, things like that? How did you uh, end up in Montana? Well, we lived um, <clears throat> we lived in Seattle for about 20 years. I okay. worked for the Seattle Post Intelligencer for a while. Um, in 1997, there I quit the PI and um, started my own commercial art business. But I continued to work for the for the Seattle Post Intelligencer until uh, it, the print side of it closed down in 2008. And after that, I said, well, you know, I could work anywhere. Why would I want to be in a big city with all this traffic? Because the traffic was pretty miserable. Yeah. So we decided to come out to Bucolic, Montana, and um, where it's, uh, we're living um, out in a mountain valley right now. Uh, and we're a few miles away from a, a small city that's sort of like Mayberry. Everybody's friendly. There's no traffic. And it's all, you know very peaceful. So, well, that's kind of how I feel because I moved, uh, I was in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is as big a rat race as you're going to find. And uh, just I uh, got this this gig out here, which I've been trying for for a long time. And uh, Mike Bates, the owner, was nice enough to offer me a job. And I'm in Milton, Florida. It's, it's a wonderful little town. It's historic. There's a river running through it. I don't want to ever have a big commute again. Uh, but it, it gives you, I think, a different perspective because we've got the internet. We've got all the technology at our disposal. And yet you can you can still uh, live in a small town. So how does that affect uh, cartooning? Well, it, it used to be, you know, um, to be a cartoonist, of course, you're going to have to live in a city. And right. in the golden age of cartoonists, I mean, there were like 2,000 of them. Can you imagine 2,000 paid political cartoonists throughout the country? That was in the golden age of newspapers before you had TV, radio, and the Internet around the turn of the century. Wow. Now there are about, I think there are about 30 left, and newspapers... As you probably know, they have a they have their foot in an inky grave, and their other foot is on a banana peel. Yeah, they're 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 pamphlets. They're little maps compared to what they used to be. Right, they're going away because. Um, well, let me give you a, a good example. When I when I was in Seattle working um, as a freelance freelancer for the PI, uh-huh. I, I produced for them a weekly page, and they they let me do all the design and. Um, the graphics and the photos for it. So I would go, and the page was designed to appeal because they wanted to start cultivating teenage readers, right? Okay. And so every week I would go out to a high school and take pictures of high school kids, and we would concoct a story that would be interesting to teenagers. Well, I would ask these teenagers, i say, well, do you read newspapers? No, none did. Yeah. Absolutely none. And I knew right then that you know, that's, this, that's going away. You know, <laughs> and as a matter of fact, when we published the pages, we would have a lot of great email coming in or, or great uh, letters uh, being sent in from like eighty-year-olds. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's the base of newspapers. And unfortunately, um, the uh, the cartoonists who work for newspapers are losing their venue, at least as far as newspapers. So there's a sea change. They have to adjust to the internet. Well, 
it's difficult to get a regular fat paycheck when you're doing things for free and you're doing things on your own. You know, there's no, uh, if you don't have a corp, big corporate sponsor, mm-hmm. and the good thing about that is you don't have a big corporate sponsor telling you what you can draw and what you can't draw, and that's my situation. I don't, I don't have an editor telling me that this is in bad taste or, oh, no, we, this is against our policy. So I have I I do I am able to experience uh, you know the First Amendment and enjoy my freedom so my freedom of speech. No, actually we're going to get into that. I've, I've already posted uh, your homepage on our Facebook page, WEBY Facebook page, and I've been talking about this for a couple of days now that people can go to that, take a look at the cartoons that you're drawing, which I think are works of art. I mean, this is not just a a quick political cartoon. You've got you've got color. You've got just fascinating things, and the more you look at them, the more you see that you actually put into these cartoons, and I want to get a print. I want to talk to you about uh, how I can actually get like a like a print that I can post on my wall of some of these, particularly the one you did with the Antifa with the Berkeley thing where you actually twisted a person into a swastika symbolically, which I didn't pick up at first, and I found that just a fascinating thing. When I looked at it, all of a sudden it hit me, you know, after looking at it for, you know, off and on for maybe several hours, it's like, whoa, and it, you just put things like that into your cartoons. Do most people get that, or is it, was I the one who was just slow in the beginning? You know, I got I got some flack from that one, too, because they, they say, well, these they're communists. They're not Nazis. Why would you make them into a Nazi? Well, they're using the same tactics. Exactly. That they that they're accusing their opponents of being. So, you know, they're like they're like the, the little brown shirts going up. You know, forcing people to, uh, you know, bend to their will. So that's why I did that. And um, I got I got a, a lot of positive and a lot of. You, that's typical. Of most of my cartoons, I get a lot of positive stuff. I get some negative stuff. That's, that's good. a sign of an effective cartoon, though, isn't it? I oh, mean, yeah. when you don't hear anything, that's when you know it's probably just kind of this, uh, you know, bland effort that wasn't wasn't worthwhile. So mm-hmm. I, I try to do cartoons. I kind of try. I want to draw cartoons that are memorable. Mm-hmm. You know, first first and foremost. So if people, if, if it gets under their craw, or if they love it, either way, it's a good cartoon if that happens. Well, that was a fascinating cartoon, and like I say, a lot of times you have to keep looking at your cartoons and keep reading them because there's all these little details in the background, these little little things. We'll go over some of those uh, in a bit. Um, we're going to take a break here in a couple of minutes. But um, how did you get into cartooning? Were you a print journalist? Did you write it first, and then you started cartooning? And, and how does that process uh, how did that process go? Because you've only well, been it goes way back to right? yeah. when I was in college. I wanted to be a fine artist, so okay. my training in art was all predicated on fine art and painting, and I studied art history. History. I don't have a BFA. I have a BA. Okay. Uh, so I graduated from art from Angelo State University in West Texas, in San Angelo. Okay. Now after that, you know, it's very, it's notoriously difficult, just like being a cartoonist, to make a living as a fine artist. So I ended up getting a job as a graphic artist at the local newspaper, the San Angelo Standard Times, and it was there I, I penned my first editorial cartoons, not really having a set political philosophy or anything like that. And I wanted to have, eventually I wanted to become a full-time um, editorial cartoonist. Well, you know, that's that's about as likely as winning the lottery. It, it's almost becoming a talk show host. These days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I kind of gave that up. And I, I, I you know, I, what I became was an information graphic specialist. And okay. that was, that's what I was good at. Then I worked at the San, uh, the San Antonio Express News. And from there I went to the Seattle Post Intelligencer. And I gave up on cartooning. I just thought, well... You know, it was, it's a nice craft, but I'll never do anything with it. But in 2008, when they bailed out the banks, that's when I got really angry, and I realized that voting doesn't do any good. Our, our, our you know, congressional representatives don't listen. 
is they're bought out. And so what I what I said, well, what can I do then? Well, I'm an artist. Why don't I draw some cartoons? And so mm-hmm. that sparked it. Only this time I had something which is really um, a requirement if you want to draw cartoons, and that's righteous indignation. There you go. So you have to point out what's wrong, and, and you have to um, – you, you, what do you want to do is you want to f- help other people focus on corruption, and we certainly have no, no uh, shortage of that. Well, so that's when I started drawing them in 2009, and um, you know, I was I would be happy if if a few friends and family saw it, maybe a couple hundred people. So it's grown from there. Where, you know, a couple months ago I published a cartoon on my Facebook page, and I had like 500,000 likes. It's like more than a major metro. So who needs newspapers anymore? You have the internet. Yeah. But there are some hoops out there. There are some burning rings of fire that you might have to be forced through if you want to become an editorial cartoonist. And one of them is the trolling. And I went through that through, through many years where my reputation got ruined because they saw this, this naive bumbler who was drawing cartoons that were starting to become popular. And the troll saw that as, you know, as an irresistible target because I wasn't known. And so, okay, well, let's take him and we'll distort his... Um, you know his reputation will will change everything into racism and anti-Semitism, and we'll we'll show this guy a lesson. He's and, and that's one of the, the reasons why there are a lot of trolls uh, doing this is they do not like anybody who's unknown to become known. Right. It's like you're getting uppity. We're going to put you back in your place. How dare you clutter up our internet with your work? So we're going to show you something, and so you know we'll teach you a lesson. And that's what they tried to do. But I've come through the other side because with the help of my wife, I got we got on social media and we basically out-shouted them, and I was able to spread my cartoons better than they could their um, their uh, um, vandalized versions. Well, the, the, you know, we talk about the Antifa, the anti-fascists are the fascists. You know, I've, I've talked about this several times on the show. Uh, in fact, the, the mayor of Berkeley is, is um, he's a member of this, this, what's it called, the by any means necessary. You know, so you've got these folks, the, the left is out there, and they want to shut down all opposition. There's no free speech on campuses right now. Look at Ann Coulter in Berkeley. So what you're doing is, is the epitome of free speech uh, in these cartoons. You're being sarcastic. You're, you're pointing out things that you, you never do in a straight news story. It's entertaining because they're fun to look at. So this is a critical, I think, uh, way of, of getting stories out. And, and one of the things I want to talk about when we come back in a little bit, I want to hear more about the trolling but, uh, and things that uh, oppose that, but uh, what you're doing is pop culture. I mean, how much conservatism is in the pop culture? It isn't. You know, you don't have comedians that are conservative very much, conservative music, rock stars you don't hear as much. You know, there's, a, there's like a gap, and you're fifth, you know, filling this. I just found out about you recently. Uh, I don't well, know what I've been missing, but yeah. A lot of people still are discovering me. It's like I've been doing this for, you know, gosh, about eight years now. But right. a lot of people, I just saw your cartoons for the first time. I get that all the time. Yeah. But, um, you know, there are there, there are a, there, there is a paucity of cartoonists out there who are conservative. I, there are some, but not very many. And um, as a matter of fact, um, as an aside note, I had this young lady who um, moved to Bozeman with her husband. Mm-hmm. And she was a cartoonist, and she recently discovered my cartoons, and she was a cartoonist, too, and she was conservative. And I said, well, you know, that's, that's extremely rare. And I encouraged her. I said, if you wanted to be – and she was talented, too. Mm-hmm. I said, if you wanted to do this, you're really going to become famous. I mean, um, a, a female, a cartoonist who's, sure. who's conservative, that's unheard of. But I don't think she ever pursued it. Why? Ah. She's afraid of getting trolled. You know, yeah. She didn't want to go through that uh, – 
go through that initiation process that's, that's almost become um, obligatory when you're on the Internet. You know, when I was first got on the Internet, I said, well, what's, there's nothing to stop me, and what could go wrong? And this is great. <laughs> well, oh. the first thing, if you're going to draw, like, when I started out, I started drawing anti-Federal Reserve cartoons. Because in my, in my mind, I, I was like, well, you know, we've got to speak out against these uh, central bankers who right. are above the law, and they, they, they're not prosecuted for their, for their wrongdoings. They're, they're, they're breaking the law, and they get rewarded, and they get copious bonuses. So this is not right. But no, uh, I didn't see any other cartoonists addressing this. I said, so I'll do it. What could go wrong? What would, you know, why aren't they do Well, I soon found out why. Well, it's not just... You know that the trolls will be attacking you, and then what? What they accuse you of being is anti-Semitic, and I'm not anti-Semitic. I'm just going after people's wrongdoings. I don't care about oh, their race or thing. religion. But yeah. Anytime you're against the bankers, bankers. Because I'm bank against the Jewish, bankers, right. I'm automatically supposed to be this anti-Semitic Nazi kook living in Montana. Right. That's and like that was that was the narrative they they t distorted it <sighs> into. Wow. But um, anyway, yeah, the cartoon is very effective. Because, and, you know, and I, I came across this, this thing written by an editorial, a pompous editorial page editor who claimed that readers read the main story first, the main headline and nope. their main opinion. No, he's, <laughs> I was like chuckling to myself. He's, he's really deluding himself. They look at the cartoon first. Absolutely. Because cause human beings are, are visual creatures and they're, they cannot resist to look at something as compelling as an editorial cartoon, then they go on to the semantic. A cartoon will combine the symbolic and the semantic for a double whammy. So you're getting like a, this double whammy appealing to the left and right brain, and that is really an effective means of communication, rather than just showing you a picture, or rather just, just making you read a story. When you combine those words and the picture, then then you've got something. Well, that's, that's, that, and, and a lot of people complain that I put too many words in my cartoons, and they're missing the point of a cartoon because the editorial cartoon mm -hmm. almost always has labels on it. That's an American tradition in, in particular. I want to hear about the history of cartoons and editorial cartoons. We have to take a break. Uh, I, I could talk to you for hours um, because there's so much going on. I want to hear about trolling some of the stories. And I've got your, your uh, frequently asked questions page about some of the places you write for. We'll talk about that and then get into the cartoons. So hang on, Ben. We'll be back in just okay. a little bit. 820-1330-WEBY. Uh, we'll be right back. Free to say what we want on the radio, free to make editorial cartoons. Good choice, hey, Doc. Hey, Doc's the world's greatest producer, 824 in the morning here, and I have my uh, very special guest, Ben Garrison. Um, I want to hear more about these trolling stories because I'm probably going to face that my into action radio, and I'm working on a website right now where we're going to actually have my audience, my radio audience, uh, write and help me write legislation, which we'll be sending directly to uh, Congress and to the uh, Florida State Legislature and other state legislatures as we go. And so, so what am I going to face once I get known? Well, the, the, the trolls, um, what can I say about them? <laughs> <laughs> they're, a bunch of, they're a bunch of cyber paths, and um, okay. there, there's, no, um, there's really no stopping them. There's no, nothing you could do. I tried, and I went to several lawyers. There's nothing you can do to stop them. It's just a fact of life, like okay. mosquitoes and flies. Just you know, carry on? They come from the, both sides of the spectrum, mostly. They're, they're either from the far left or the far right. Huh. If you're a centrist, there's probably, you're probably not going to be a troll. So right. um, when, when I was going through all this, I actually had the help of a cyber investigator, and one of them he tracked down was in uh, Hollywood, Florida, and he was from the 
far left, a big, um, you know, big Obama and then Bernie supporter. And um, he hated libertarians. He hated conservatives. And he was one who was doctoring up my cartoons. And I had a, I had an actionable case, but try to interest a lawyer in it. You can't unless you have really deep pockets, because most of these people are basement dwellers. Um, okay. A lot, a lot of them come from the the far right, who were mad at me because I wasn't being, uh, anti, you know, properly anti-Semitic like they wanted. So I was attacked wow. by a by a young person, young man named um, Andrew Anglin, who runs a, a Nazi website called the Daily Stormer, and he hmm. went on a thing where he was um, defaming me and, um, you know, libeling me outright. And the, my lawyer says, yeah, this is actionable too, but it would depend on a judge, and it would cost you a lot of money. Yeah. And he doesn't have any money, so there'd be no payout at the end. So that's I ended up with, with Anglin in particular. I ended up um, kind of like uh, getting even with him by drawing some insulting cartoons of him, putting <laughs> him on my blog, and that was about all I could do. Yeah, but um, it's it's kind of just a fact of life that I've accepted, and people still, you know, these trolls will still uh, take the cartoons I draw and distort them, and, and then they post. Are they like hacking your site. cartoons and changing them? Oh yeah, if you go to Ben Garrison and type and go to images, you'll see a lot of examples. They they'll take a cartoon I do and then they'll paste um you know um these other work but this other cartoonist, this racist cartoonist named A Wyatt Man and they'll you know take my cartoon and then they'll add his work to mine and then they'll change the words to make it, you know, something that's uh, that outright libel and copyright infringement. But yeah, that's it's like they'll laugh about that. They they think that's um They'll think that's a, that's their fair use, and they don't understand what fair use is. Yeah. They think fair use is carte blanche, and they think freedom of speech is absolute freedom of speech. And, you know, and that does sound good, doesn't it? Oh, absolute freedom of speech, yeah, bring it. Well, what that all, what that brings is all the, um, the it it brings about a lot of libel. It brings about um, some really unsavory things. I mean, well, you know, it was. Uh, a, Child porn is that is that supposed to be part of it? Absolute free speech, isn't it? No. no. no you want to bring not. about? You want to see all this libel? And um, no, it, it, there, there's got to be a limit. Just like there's a limit to the Second Amendment. I mean, I'm not going to go out there and shoot my neighbor's barn because hey, it's my Second Amendment right to, to discharge my my uh, firearm. No, yeah. there's got there's there's consequences when you when you abuse it. So that's abuse of free speech. Yeah, but that's, like, not, that's not the Second Amendment. My, I, my contention is the Second Amendment is absolute on the right to keep and bear, but not the right to use. And so that's where I draw the distinction on, on the Second Amendment. And yeah, that, but the, the trolls know, don't understand they like don't. that when it comes to free speech. They, 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 and, and, and then they started calling me a hypocrite because I started pushing back and complaining. Yeah. But um, it's like they, they think libertarians are supposed to be anarchists, you know, so anything goes, and that's not. I mean, anarch, libertarians believe in property rights, and, that, and those cartoons are my property. Yeah. Let's go over some of your cartoons right now. I've got uh, the one here. You've got the, the tug of war. You've got Steve Bannon on one side. You've got Trump in the middle, and you've got all the rest of, uh, looks like the White House staff polling. What's, what's that one all about? Well, that one was, um, that one was drawn... Um, um, that was a commission, actually. It was really nice to get somebody to pay me. And they said, I want you to draw this on this topic and have kind of a Trump and a tug of war. And I said, well, let's make, let's make Trump the rope then. <laughs> and so I, I had okay. – um, there's some concerns about, amongst uh, many Trump supporters that uh, you know, people such as Kushner, who has Soros ties, 
Oh, and, I didn't and, know that. Yeah, and in Ivanka, who's kind of like got Democratic leanings, and then yeah. you have then he's appointed a lot of Goldman Sachs men, which I was really disappointed to see that. Okay. And we're afraid that they're influencing him too much and dragging him away from his base. Now, when I drew that, I actually had Roger Stone uh, comment that this isn't the case, that Trump is still his own man, and you have to have faith that he's going to, you know, he's going to carry out his uh, his promises. And I guess he's right, because it's only been 100 days. I mean, let's give the man a chance, right? So maybe he is playing some kind of 5D chess that I don't know about. But that doesn't mean I don't worry about it. I mean, uh, he's still a much better uh, president than Hillary would have been. Oh, she's an aspiring uh, dictator with delusions of of her own self-importance. Yeah, (laughs) if you don't mind me ranting. (laughs) No, no. That's, yeah. that's all I do. <laughs> exactly. Well, I want to tell people just the richness of this one cartoon, because I'm looking at it here, and the, the little things that you miss until you really look at these. This is why I'm thinking, uh, I want to talk to you about getting some, some big blow-ups of your things that I can put on my wall. You've got, uh, you've got a stadium on one side which says campaign promises. The American flag is upright. You've got jobs. You've got uh, the wall. You've got you know real people. They repeal Obamacare. You have all these pennants, and you have we the people from the Constitution, and, and, the, and with Steve Bannon on that side. And Steve Bannon is the one person I want to interview the most. He's the mystery guy. He's the one I really want to see. Then you got the tug of war. Then you got the White House. On the right side, you have the establishment with the American flag upside down. Then you have the, the deep state. You have Wall Street. You have the neocons. You have the Democrats. You have war. You have the, uh, you've got the pyramid. You've got the e pluribus unum I. You know, so you've got the Masons there. You've got globalism. And people, you know, until you look at this, you, if you just see the tug of war, you're missing like, like 80% of what you've got in this one cartoon. Yeah, I enjoy drawing those uh, cartoons such as that, and since I'm not on a daily deadline, I have the time to uh, do it at my leisure. I mean, I still have to make make my living also by doing some commercial art. Right. I'm not quite there. I mean, if I could get enough support, then I could draw these cartoons full-time, and boy, okay. there would be nothing stopping me, right? But yeah. um, until then, it's because one of the effects of the trolling is it really hurt my business. I mean, my yeah. income from my commercial business just went off a cliff. Because HR departments tend not to want to hire somebody who's controversial. And for a while there, when you typed in Ben Garrison, you would get all these racist stuff. And, you know, Andrew Anglin put my face in this uh, photo of a guy with a Nazi uniform. I mean, they, I was in an art gallery here. They harassed the owner of the art gallery until I had to leave. That's what they do. They go after your, they, you know, they go after your means of making a living. That's yeah. their biggest target. They want to make sure that you're broke and homeless and out on the streets. And one, and one, uh, one person wrote me and said she wasn't going to rest. I'm assuming it was a she. I don't know because this came out when I did a very controversial cartoon, Michelle and Melania cartoon. <laughs> well, that, that that got so many people mad. Yeah. Well, they they said that they weren't going to rest until I was broke and homeless and out on the streets. Well, I, I don't think they knew that I was self-employed so yeah. they couldn't go after my employer but they would have if i had been employed so if they're if you're not if you're self-employed then they go after uh, you know any Sponsors. other way they can do it to try to break you and it's a war I mean, we're having this war right now it's kind of a cold civil war mm-hmm. and you're and i know you're aware of it oh of, yeah um, kind of conservatives versus uh, you know the left versus the right and um they're pulling out all stops now i mean they're going after <clears throat> people on the internet so um you know they're trying to demonetize the, uh, the conservative voices on uh, YouTube and on, on, on Twitter and oh, elsewhere. Bill O'Reilly and uh, what's going on at Fox? They're trying to—they're getting rid of people all over the place. 
And who is uh, some of the Congress people, too? Uh, Congressman Nunes from the, the House Intelligence Committee, he recused himself. You've got uh, Jeff Sessions, Attorney General, recusing himself on things that they don't have to recuse themselves on. This is a war. This is ab- I don't think it's a cold war. I think it's, a, it's an absolute war of words, of ideas, of thoughts. And I'm, I'm, my thing is language. Your thing is art. My thing is language. So I, when I talk about, I never use the word assault weapon. I always say freedom rifle. And there are all kinds of terms that I do that I reverse them. And I've got YouTubes on this and all kinds of stuff. My time's coming. I mean, I'm not that well known yet. I mean, but part of the reason I'm at a, at a smaller radio station is I have that independence. I don't have a bean counter saying you're too controversial, Greg. You shouldn't say that. We want to appeal to 12-year-olds and be middle of the road here. I don't have that problem, uh, but I also don't have a national voice yet either, but I'm working on it. So I understand um, to, to get to this point. And like I say, my fight, I'm sure it's on its way. Um, we should probably take another break. I want to come back and talk about your, your Berkeley Antifa comic so people can pull that up. Why don't you give the website so people can, uh, anybody who's listening can hop on their computer. And uh, well, anybody who about. wants to, uh, to see all my Facebook and Twitter links, et cetera, et cetera, can go to my website, which is www com and it's G-R-R-R, three R's, so it's Gur. that's my that's my mascot, my, my angry citizen, um, you know, the dog, which is the citizen buckraker journalist system, supposed to be a watchdog yeah. with a pencil in his mouth, so it's GurGraphics.com. That sounds good. All right, 8.34 in the morning here, 13.30 W-E-B-Y, my special guest, Ben Garrison, uh, extraordinary cartoonist, and we'll be right back. in the morning, my special guest, Ben Garrison, who does the most amazing cartoons that I've seen in a long time. Let's talk about this Berkeley Antifa one, which is just brilliant. You've got, you've got a, a hooded person, which is like you know, the old brown shirts. So as I say, you know, from, brown, from brown shirts to black shirts. You know, and uh, he's got the, the baseball bat with the blood coming off it. You've got conservative views in books that are being burned. You know, he's stomping on the, the Statue of Liberty, who is in bare feet, which I find interesting. Uh, and you've got uh, this, this guy contorted into a swastika, you know, with pepper spray in one hand, because people were pepper sprayed at the Berkeley rallies, and you've got Milo and Ann, you know, at their podiums there, and they're not, they're not going a whole long way, and you've got this Nazi saying, shut up, Nazis. It's brilliant. <laughs> that wasn't the first one I drew, either. I drew one about a year, year or so ago. It was called The March of the Crybullies, mm-hmm. and I had these students in diapers and, and holding <laughs> rattles. I don't know if you've seen it. It's on my nope. site somewhere, but I'll it was extremely it. popular. It went viral. And, um, you know, I, I, that one offended the, uh, that one offended the Antifa. I don't know, think, think the Antifa didn't really come into play that early, but it, offend, it offended what was known as the social justice warriors so much that they all got together and um, started writing Facebook to make sure they shut down my Facebook. So I got this uh, scolding message from Facebook, your page has been shut down because you've been, you know, accused or, or whatever, you know, I've been accused of engaging in hate speech because a one cartoon was considered hate speech, which was a really big slap in the face to me because in 2014, I was writing Facebook endlessly trying to, to get down, get them to take down these um, counterfeit Ben Garrison pages where trolls would use my name and my, my, cart, my uh, vandalized cartoons and pretend they were the real me, and then spout out this most disgusting, you know, cries for murder and everything else. 
And yet Facebook thought that was perfectly fine. But when I had my legitimate cartoons, I get shut down because it offended some of the social justice warriors on campus. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, good. so if you're in the left, you can say whatever you want, but uh, you're offending a lot of people, and I, uh, congratulations to you, because uh, they certainly need offending. Let's talk about university campuses, and then I have this Hillary comic which of her as a pink poodle, which cracks me up. What's, what's your reaction on campuses, free speech? Um, what do you think is happening there? And, well, and, here's what's know. happening, and, it's, and, and to me it all goes back to one thing. It goes back to the fact that we let private entity get control of our money, and that started in 1913, and now we have this above-the-law, mafia-like group of central bankers who have private meetings, and, you know, where they meet with the, they have a thing called the Bank of International Settlements, where they meet in private, about 50 of them, you know, every few weeks, including our, uh, you know, including Janet Yellen. They determine policy, we have no say, and they cannot get prosecuted. They could money their drug, you know, drug, launder drug money. They could do whatever they want. They're above the law. They don't get – and Hillary, that's why she doesn't get prostituted. She's part of that group. Okay. They're above the law. Well, they control the money. So what do they control next? Well, they go after controlling our minds. And how do they do that? They do that by controlling language. And that's what they're doing on the college campus right now. I just came across a story. I'm sure you saw it where a guy, um, he, he – uh, submitted a paper, and he got marked down a grade because he used the word mankind, which is, oh, you can't say mankind anymore. You can, you know, that's, that's a bad word. Well, who determines what these bad words are? And they're usually the cultural Marxist uh, professors who now rule most college campuses, and they're working on the language. And so through the language, they control thought. And it's exactly out of 1984. Oh, yeah. I agree with you completely. Language is everything. I've done, uh, I I did a series of news videos, which were probably too long, and they they never caught on, but I specifically made them as biased conservative language as I could come up with. And I talked about economic treason for the national debt. I made up all these new terms, like I say, freedom rifle. And so language is key to me. And this is why I'm working with uh, Congressman uh, Matt Gates, giving all kinds of new language and new ways of framing things, uh, because he who frames the debate wins the debate. You know, and so that's that's one of the huge problems. And I know about downgrading. I was downgraded uh, in college all the time for my beliefs, and this is back in the 80s. You know, so 81 I graduated, and so I know exactly what this was like. It was going on back then, nowhere near to the extent now. But I've got a story I didn't even get to today about the fact that uh, men on college campuses are accused, uh, falsely accused of, of rape at a huge amount, and a lot of them are suing uh, the universities. They're coming back with lawyers. They're using Title IX, and they're winning like 70% of the time. So, you know, these, these student courts um, are horrendous. And they're doing, you know, that, that's, if that's not mind control, thought control, and abuse of, of legal procedure, I don't know what is. Well, it's, 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 it's like I said, they, they want to control the, they have control of the money, now they're controlling a the language and they're using it mm-hmm. as a means to atomize at a granular level, uh, reason, logic, and, and you know even things such as uh, what you just alluded to was the male versus the female is now it's a versus instead of them getting together. It's all oh, it's it's rape. It's a rape. Islam gets a pass, doesn't it? I mean, there's all the rape coming in occurring in Europe, but that's yeah. all. That's okay because that's coming from this. Islam, we don't want to be Islamophobic now, do we? This is something... So it's a, it's a break. They want to go after the family unit. Or they want to go after uh, social cohesion. And they do that by, you know, uh, this, on this granular level and, and making, you know, instead of having a male and female, you know, sex, then now you have like these gender variations. 
<clears throat> that <laughs> this has gotten completely absurd. It's like, <laughs> I mean, it's like, okay, if you if you want to be if you're a man and you want to be a woman, I don't care. I'm a libertarian. Do what you want, but don't. But don't, society should not force me to applaud that. And I don't care how many changes and whatever they do in hormones, they're not going to change their DNA. Nope. I mean, it's still, until they can change that Y into an X, I mean, they're just going against the, going against the grain. It's like these people, they, they want to be God. They want to determine who they are and what they are. You know, I want to be a, you know, who knows? I mean, if they want to be a, a dolphin, I mean, that's not my business, but <clears throat> it's like... In, in gross contrast with with reality, but you know that's a, like I said, they throw reality out the window, and there's no such there's no there's no healthy debate, and there's no reason, logic, or evidence. It's just feelings now. Yep. Uh, you know, we got to respect their feelings. No, I don't. Why? Who says I have to respect them? I don't have to respect this. There, there was a British philosopher, uh, I think it was British, uh, Francis Chichester, who said, if you don't believe in something, namely religion, you'll believe in anything. Um, so you can't replace something with nothing. You, you, you replace something with anything, and that's what's going on right now. And I did a, a big report uh, on, on a, my, my idea for an education reform, and one of the things I discovered about critical thinking is that critical thinking does not involve getting skills that are critical for thinking. It involves being critical of every social, uh, religious and another and patriotic organization. So what the schools are actually doing that people don't know about is they're making you making the kids critical of the family, of God, of of our founding principles, of all these things. And this is what you see going on on campus. So every time you hear the word critical thinking skills, you got to understand it's not t- teaching you to think uh, critically. It's teaching you to be critical of everything that uh, the rest of us hold sacred. That's right. And they're no longer um, <clears throat> they're no longer. Um locations where you actually um, learn those skills. It's, yeah. uh, it's, they're indoctrination centers. Yep. But the, the, the cartoons are, um, you know, you're, you mentioned history. Now, the one, people may not know this, but our first, very first cartoonist was Benjamin Franklin, who drew the uh, snake as the colonies split up into sections, and he, oh. he had the phrase, join or die. And there weren't, there was, there weren't many cartoonists back in the... Uh, early 1800s, they really started coming into play after the Civil War, and then you had people such as uh, Thomas Nast, okay. and then you had new developments at newspapers that enabled them, it was a you know photo engraving that enabled um, uh, quick reproduction, because before it was all laborious, it was done with um, you know etching, it took a long time, and then all of a sudden the artists could use pen and ink, and um, so, but there's a lot of great cartoonists that people don't know about that... Um, Occurred in the golden age around the turn of the century, and one that you one 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 that I really like and very persuasive artist that nobody knows about today mm-hmm. is a, a man named Frank Beard, and he actually did really slick lithographs that appeared in magazines. He was extremely influential. I mean, I mean I'll just describe one quick cartoon that oh, I, 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 I this I, is a website for him that people could go to. Like a I don't. Frank well, Beard. he's back in the turn of the century. I don't even know if there is a website. But, but there they, might could, be a, they could find his images online yeah. if they type in Frank Beard. Okay. There's one I really enjoyed. It was like um, there was a man in, in a rowboat. The rowboat was Mount Mark Salvation. And he has got two oars. One is Mark Works and the other is Faith. Okay, now he's rowing on, on this river called Temptation, and he's he's rowing up, up against the current. And here's this beautiful woman uh, 
coming out of the midst of a waterfall, and all of a sudden he's dropping the oars and he's reaching for this beautiful woman that represents the world, mm. and he's he's going to, and that also represents death because he's going to go over because he's not working hard. But Frank Beard's biggest accomplishment was he hated drinking and he hated saloons. And so oh, I look okay. at these cartoons, you know, and I said, yeah, he's right. I don't want to go into these saloons. And, you know, they're extremely persuasive. What he did was influence rural America against drinking, and he brought help bring about prohibition, which was a total terrible disaster. Oh, yeah, but I mentioned this because you, this is just one cartoonist who had a great influence on the direction of the nation. And, and as a side note, prohibition... When, when no longer the government could, could tax uh, booze, mm -hmm. the prohibitionist says, well, we got this thing called the income tax instead, so we don't even need booze anymore because we got this income tax. And that helped usher in the income tax to the delight of the bankers, which is another. That was even worse than the prohibition. Oh. But, but this shows you how cartoonists can have, um, you know, they, they can, in a small way, change the direction of history. And so, and I'm not being presumptuous here. I'm not being pompous. I don't have a big ego, but that's my goal is to just try to influence a few people. You know, maybe just stem the tide of history just a tiny bit. Then I would have done my job. Well, you can do amazing things. I just found a book, 50 Great Cartoons, uh, about Frank Beard. And so there is, you just go online, there's tons of stuff um, on him, very, very easy to find. Um, a couple of things um, I want to kind of cover, then we're going to take our, our last break here. Uh, international, are you, are you reaching across outside the country? Well, I want to I want to draw an anti Trudeau cartoon, but yeah, I've drawn pro I've drawn a couple pro um, um, Le Pen cartoons. Okay. My biggest cartoon that it, probably one of my most viral cartoons ever was the Brexit cartoon I drew last year, and I had so many positive responses from England, people in England who wanted to uh, again have you know, representation in their own government, because mm. before they had taxation without representation. You had a bunch of bland Brussels bureaucrats determining how things are going to be, and then England had enough of that. Great Britain had enough. So I had a tremendous, it, it, it features a, the, the giant EU boat going over a waterfall, and it's on my <laughs> site somewhere. And I have England, I have the Great Britain rowing away from them. Yeah as they're going over the waterfall and destroying themselves with, uh, you know, and then they got a bunch of uh, uh, Muslims running around the ship doing all kinds of mischievous things. Oh, boy, I had a big kickback on that one, too. I mean, some, some columnist at the, at the Guardian in London wrote a, a scathing uh, column criticizing me, calling me an artist who would have worked for Goebbels because I was against the, you know, against the EU. I mean, how, how dare he? Oh, my gosh. And try to make me into the usual, you know, racist type stuff, for my opinion. But that cartoon, I, I got so much response for it. And I, it was been translated into German, and it was, you know, featured on a TV show in Italy. I mean... <laughs> That's good. Yeah, but the, so the I was drawing a cartoon that no cartoonist in, in Europe would dare draw, because most of those cartoonists are, are employed by the, the system, and right. they're going to draw, you know pro-EU cartoons, and, and so my cartoon really stood out. And so, yeah, I, I want to draw more, um, more international cartoons as well. And some people ask me why I'm not drawing local cartoons, but mostly, and, and that's what cartoonists used to be at newspapers. They right. used to draw a lot of local cartoons and go after corruption on a local level, which is very laudable. But for me, it's just a matter of time. I have to, I have to do cartoons that will capture the biggest audience. 
Yeah, I want to. We have to take our last break. I want to find out if you did any great Obama cartoons and and why you think we had this fascination with trying to induce Islam, the most restrictive Sharia law religion and and dictatorship possible. Anyways, eight fifty one. I'm on with Ben Garrison. We'll be right back. Eight fifty-five. We have about three minutes left, so I want to uh, get uh, Ben Harrison, uh, Garrison back on here. Ben's comics can be seen at Breitbart, at Infowars, at Zero Hedge, the Federalist Papers, Single Dude Travel, Politico, Slate. Uh, anybody else uh, that your comics or uh, cartoons are available on? Oh, <clears throat> there are so many websites that publish. I mean, um, I, I like Zero Hedge. Zero Hedge has published a lot of my cartoons. Tell me about them, because uh, it's a guy, you see a picture of Brad Pitt, and he calls himself Tyler Durden from Fight Club. I've been yeah. trying to contact this person. Is it one person? Because I want to have them on my show, too. I think he values his anonymity, but um, okay. he's got some very keen insights. I always, I always I read him every day. Okay. I should read it more often. So you better give your contact stuff one more time. We only have a couple of minutes, so I want to make sure people get... Uh, well, people should go to yeah, my right. website, uh, gurgraphics.com. That's three R's in the Gur. Okay. Um, and they could also go to, if they want to check out my book, I have a new book of all the election cartoons I drew last year, about 113 color plates, and the book is called The Election Collection, the, night, the 2016 Presidential Election Collection. So if they go to Amazon and type in Election Collection and Ben Garrison, it'll come right up. I, I'm sorry for the shameless tout, but my wife reminded me I needed to. Well, I'll do my shameless tout then. My book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction, is also, from my experience as a flight instructor, is also available on Amazon.com. So we're even. It's okay. Good deal. Yeah, thank you. Um, what is this obsession that the left has with trying to introduce Islam through refugees, immigrants, put it in the schools, to the abandonment of Christianity, and, and this whole Sharia law thing, we have to be tolerant of, of people that go stand against everything that, um, that we stand as a, as a free country? Who's funding a lot of this? Well, people, the globalists, and people such as uh, George Soros. Okay. Why? Because they want to break down society. They want to break down Western civilization itself and replace it with a communist form of government that they control. That's what it's about. So, uh, how does this look, come into that, though? You got Obama. You know what was he? His main thing was to uh, change the distort history and claim that uh, we have Muslim roots in this country. You know, simply because Jefferson had a had a Koran in, in, in his office, wrong. He, Jefferson had a Koran so he could better understand the Barbary pilots, the pirates, <laughs> so he could kill them. Um, yeah, this is this. We've never been anywhere near a, a Muslim nation, but he, that's his goal because he was a Muslim. I mean, yeah. I, I'm convinced he was a Muslim. Oh, of course he was. He was a gigantic fraud. I mean, he everything about the man was was a lie. Yeah. But that's the system that enjoys foisting that upon us. So they'd, they'd love to, like, you know, uh, get us um, on board with their with their giant whoppers. You know, thirty seconds it's left. A form of abuse, and they yeah. love it. And then look at that. We were able to convince them that that birth certificate that he, that he published was real, and it was like approved, a hundred percent fraud. Fraud, and yet the left would say, yeah, that there's proof right there because he released it. Well. We're almost done. That's, that's the, again, we're going back to that civil war that we talked about, and people believe what they want to believe, I suppose. But yeah. um, That's it. 
<laughs> that was it. It just kind of ended there. And so uh, I, I kept saying 30 seconds and then 15 seconds. And then, uh, and then we were done. It's really quite interesting, but that's normal. Uh, and, you know, it's like this coordination between me and my producer and our guest and, you know, the producers behind a, a screen has put little notes stuck to the window. Uh, it was fun. I love being at WBY. It was a real blast. And I got to meet some incredible people. There is something to, there is something to be said for, uh, uh, being a radio station, especially an established one, that gives you a chance to broadcast for for uh, um, you know for a bunch of folks that are already you, you already have an audience, uh, and they're already able to get guests. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it was it was. Uh, I mean, this is my second month or third month. Let me see, March, April, May. Second month. I've only been there two months, and I had Ben Garrison. I have another one. I'm gonna get to uh, Dr. Red Cross uh, at the top of the next hour. TV doc. It was another fascinating interview. So again, I don't expect a lot of folks to be here. I'm really making this a podcast for people to listen to uh, over the weekend and give you all something to, uh, to, and for our international folks that don't, you know, celebrate Thanksgiving today. Canada, I think, was last month. And the rest of the world, I don't think you have a Thanksgiving. So the United States, it's probably, uh, it's one of my favorite holidays for, uh, probably, probably most favorite, because everybody celebrates you know, there's no, it's not, it's not a political, well, it can be a political holiday, you know, Indigenous People's Day. But for the most part, it's pretty universal. And so uh, um, Christmas is pretty much that way, too, even though, you know, we have a lot of non-Christians. It's like, you know, why not? Take part. I mean, I'd take part in Ramadan maybe for a month. I mean, who knows? I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, as holidays go, Thanksgiving's you know, pretty much the American holiday. That and July 4th. And so that's a different thing, too. But then, of course, those that are here that hate America, well, you're kind of stuck, too. So you can't please everybody, right? So if you don't celebrate it, don't. <clears throat> Excuse me. But don't complain about those of us who do. Okay? So if you want to celebrate something else, great. I don't care. You know, it, it's, not, it's not the individual actions that bother people. It's the individual actions trying to stop other people from their individual actions that bother people. That's kind of how it works. All right. Got a little bit of time. I'm going to play another musical interlude here. See, I haven't played this one uh, before. So I do have a lot of new stuff here, and I have a couple of articles to get through, and then at the top of the next hour, um, I will give you the uh, Dr. Red Cross. Can you believe the doctor? This is his real name, too. He's a, he's a TV doctor, and his name is Red Cross. I mean, what are the chances, right? So let me play this for you. Where's my uh, – ah, here we go. Back in just a bit. That ended a little bit uh, early. <laughs> I guess it's not quite as long as I thought it was. I had a few extra seconds there. That's okay. Let's get you back. Uh, wake you up, and uh, let me see if I can find my other thing I wanted to uh, throw out here. And this will uh, this will this will brighten this up a bit. Action Radio, dangerously cool. 
Yeah, that's us. We certainly try to be anyway. All right, let me get to a couple of other articles here that uh, sort of uh, piqued my interest of late um, before I get to the top of the hour and do another another classic WEBY interview. And after that, eh, there won't be a whole lot of showtime left, so we'll, uh, I'll probably uh, uh, end it at that point, unless somebody calls up and really wants to debate stuff. But like I say, I'm not expecting calls. I don't even have live chat people checking in. Uh, that's fine. Uh, that actually makes a lot of sense because everybody's getting ready uh, for Thanksgiving. So I'll, I'm going to go try to do a little grocery shopping, see if anything's left there, you know, just uh, I, I like regular food. All right, so one of the biggest issues right now is Maricopa County. And so Maricopa County, Arizona, uh, in the Phoenix area, uh, I think it's most of Phoenix, uh, every one of those ballots should be thrown out. Maricopa County, you know, if, you, if you're going to stop vote fraud, the first thing you need to do is disqualify places where they're doing vote fraud. Okay, so if Maricopa County can't have election results on election night when two hours of the polls closing, then everything after that's fraud. Okay, I don't care how big the county is because votes are, are counted when they're cast. You count the early votes early when they come in. You count the mail-in ballots early. You don't let any mail ballot or, or I wouldn't even have Dropbox. I wouldn't even have mail-ins. Uh, I have a few absentee and, and early voting, and that's it. I don't seem to have a problem with early voting that, that some conservatives have. A lot of Republicans think that it's um, – you know, it's, it's, unless you vote on election day, you're not voting. Well, we know what happens. You know, the, the Democrats vote early, get their votes locked in, and then they sabotage elections on election day and Republicans can't vote. That's just a no-brainer now that I think about it. Uh, I knew there was a problem. I didn't know quite what the problem would be. So I, hadn't, uh, I didn't quite guess correctly on that. But uh, it just seemed to me a problem to have, um, you know, the Democrats vote early and then the Republicans vote on election day. And, and the, Dick Morris is the one that really alerted me to that. And his logic was that it's, it's better for the Democrats because they know who's voted. So if the Democrats vote early and you don't vote, you know, they know who's voted by the, they're checking the voter rolls because everything's open to the parties to do that. So they can get their voters. Hey, you haven't voted yet. Come on down the polls. Can we take your ballot for you? <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> you know, so you know how that works too. Republicans, if you all vote on election day, there's no time to fix things if they go wrong. And so all Maricopa County had to do was close down a bunch of their machines that work perfectly the evening before the election uh, and sabotage the Republican vote. And that's pretty much what happened. So I would disqualify them. I would throw everybody in Maricopa County who had anything to do with this or who knew about it, throw them in jail and uh, stop this stuff from happening. So if you throw out the Maricopa County ballots, then uh, chances are, uh, I think, I think absolutely that uh, Katie, uh, Katie Hobbs would not win the governorship. Uh, Carrie Lake would, uh, and some other folks would as well. We probably have um, Blake Masters, a senator, and uh, Senator, I think Mark Finchon, Secretary of State. So I think if you throw out the Maricopa County ballots, it's fraudulent. So if you can't tell the fraud balance, ballots from the real ballots, throw them all out. Sorry. That's just the way it goes. You know, vote somewhere, move somewhere else. Uh, I'm not sure. Well, I guess you have to register to vote. What if, if we had statewide registrations, you wouldn't have to do that. Well, there's a thought. What do you think about having statewide voter registration? So, so all votes are uh, they're run by the locals, but once you vote in, if you vote in a different precinct, then uh, oh no, because you have to vote for your local elections. Maybe that's not such a good idea. I have to think that one through. Maybe for the state, maybe this is state ballots. Uh, as Pianchi wanted, um, wanted separate ballots for federal and state, maybe maybe you should have three ballots: one for local, which you vote in your precinct; uh, state ballot you can vote anywhere. Uh, you can even you vote locally in your precinct and then go somewhere else for a state ballot if you want to. You can vote for state where you are too. I don't know. I haven't. Uh, this one's going to require some thinking. Anyway. So I found this. I, should, I think this might have even been sent to me. Arizona Sun-Times. And so probably Tina uh, probably dropped that in my, my messenger. And this is from November 20th. Arizona AG inquiry into Maricopa County election irregularities, possible legal violations. 
got a big picture of uh, Buenovich, I think is his name, uh, or Bernovich. We'll find out when I get uh, down the article. This is by John Solomon. John Solomon has his website, Just the News. He says, the, the Arizona Attorney General's office has opened an inquiry into Maricopa County's handling of the midterm elections, demanding a full report of, the well, of, a, of well-publicized irregularities and warning there is evidence of statutory violations. Yeah, in other words, if they find the irregularities and they find statutory violations, throw all the Maricopa ballots out. That way there's no incentive to, uh, to cheat the next time, because if they cheat, then all the ballots are going to be thrown out, which defeats the purpose of cheating, uh, unless they, you know, who knows, maybe they... Uh, uh, it all depends who's cheating. <laughs> you know, so if the Republicans are cheating, then all their ballots will be, ballots will be thrown out. There's no incentive to do it. If the Democrats are cheating, then they're but you know. So either way, everybody's ballots get thrown out. Unfortunately, they throw out good ones, but if you can't tell the good ones from the bad ones, chances are the people cheating are going to have a lot more bad ones. <laughs> you know, so um, I don't know how it works, but we'll see. Anyway, Arizona Attorney General, I think I read that. The letter from Attorney General Mark Bernovich. I was pretty close then. B R N O V I C H apostrophe S. Bernovich's election integrity unit marks a major escalation in the dispute over how voters were treated on election day in the state's largest county, where scores of ballot tabulators had problems because of printing problems. What a coincidence. Isn't it amazing that the ballot machines, the tabulators work for the Democrats, but they didn't work for the Republicans? That's vote fraud. <laughs> That's what it looks like. Right? He says the problems have delayed the declaration of a winner in the razor-thin state attorney general's race and led GOP uh, gubernatorial candidate Kerry Lake to question as premature the media's declaration that her opponent, Democrat Katie Hobbs, won the race. The letter sent uh, late Saturday from Assistant Attorney General Jennifer Wright to the county's chief civil division attorney, Thomas Liddy, interesting name for politics, demanded a full report on how the tabulator and printer issues were handled, as well as a copy of each voting location's official ballot report, including any discrepancies and explanations. Hmm. So it should be interesting reading. Wright demanded the evidence be turned over prior to the county sending its final canvas for, for certification of the vote, which is due by November 28th. So we're now 23rd. So we've got five days. Five days to see if this is going to be certified or not. I hope it's not. I, like I say, throw out the Maricopa County ballots, take the rest of Arizona, and let the election stand where it stands. You cannot reward cheating. You cannot reward fraud. You know, you can't count every ballot if ballots are, are illegal. So you want to count the legal ballots. Well, those are the only ones you want to count. And if you can't decide which is legal, which is illegal, throw them all out because you're going to throw out a lot more illegal ballots than legal ones. And uh, the, cheaters, the cheaters are going to lose. I mean, that's the whole point of this. All right. This is right demanded. All right. There we go. These complaints go beyond pure speculation, but include firsthand witness accounts that raise concerns regarding Maricopa's lawful compliance with Arizona election law. Furthermore, statements made by both Chairman Gates and Recorder Richer, or Ricker, R-A-C-H-E-R, or Riker, along with information Maricopa County released through official modes of communication, appear to confirm potential statutory violations of Title 16. The letter specifically cites possible legal violations related to improper instructions that poll workers gave voters whose ballot tabulations were delayed by problems. Remember when they had the, the Sharpies that were bleeding through and they totally screwed up the Republican ballots? Yeah, I remember that. Another quote, Maricopa County appears to have failed to adhere to the statutory guidelines in segregating, counting, tabulating, tallying, and transporting the door number three ballots. What's behind door number three? Yes, you two could have a great ballot behind door number three. Uh, those are your choices. Real fraud or we just made it up you know, five minutes ago. Anyway, so Wright wrote, uh, in fact, Maricopa County has admitted that in some voting locations, door three non-tabulated ballots were co-mingled, in other words, purposely mixed together, right, with tabulated ballots at the voting location. 
Another quote further, we have received a sworn complaint from an election observer indicating that more than 1,700 door three non-tabulated ballots from one voting location were placed in back in black duffel bags that were intended to be used for tabulated ballots. So yeah, vote tries vote fraud. Yeah, throw them all out. Uh, you can't uh, can't trust Maricopa County. And so again, any any election that takes longer than uh, say three hours after the polls close, that's it. You're done. Just, you, you got your time. All the votes are counted in the machines anyway. So what's the problem? Okay, a couple more things for you here. Let me get to um, uh, another report. So one of the things we talk about, actually, let me. Uh, Play. I got so many things to play for you now. It's fun. I'm going to do a, uh, another thing briefly here. Let's get one of my other news broadcast gimmicky stuff. Oh, this one looks good. And now, breaking news. Play that one before. <laughs> okay, well, all right. I, I memory thing. I'll, I'll uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not talking well today, um, so I think it's definitely time to rest the voice a bit. All right. So we were talking, uh, Pianki and I, uh, as we do pretty much every day, on, on new ways to characterize states because the states, the United States, these United States, not the United States, these United States, which in other words, they are states. They are independent states. It's not the United States. It's the United States. So the emphasis is on state. So the states are independent. They are sovereign. They have their own rights and, and privileges. Well, states don't have rights. States have powers. But the states have powers that the federal government doesn't have. And the federal government has powers that the states don't have, the difference being that the states gave the federal government those powers because the states couldn't agree on certain things like uh, interstate commerce, which re- isn't everything. Interstate commerce is goods and services crossing state lines only. That's what interstate commerce is. It's not the endless thing that the federal government has done, which means that most of that power needs to be taken away from them. And so anyway, but that's, but how do we characterize these? And I came up with, uh, we started calling them countries, you know, the country of Florida, the country of Wyoming, <laughs> the country of Missouri. And that seemed, it, it sort of expressed, but it made things a little more, con- a little more confusing. So then we thought, okay, well, we're going to have to, uh, you know, try a little differently. Let's, let's see what else we've got. And I called them, so I said, well, let's call them nations. So it'd be the nation of uh, California, the nation of, of Kansas, the nation of, you know, Connecticut. Um, and that sort of seemed a little kind of crazy too, because they sort of, they lose their state identity. So I came up with um, recently the nation state. So in other words, it's, it, the states are nations. The states are independent places um, that, are, that are tied together uh, and actually have chartered a federal government to handle certain things. So the definition of nation state, just Britannica, just curiosity, nation state, a territorially bounded sovereign polity, that is a state that is ruled in the name of a community of citizens who identify themselves as a nation. So that, that really kind of sums it up, a territory bounded by sovereign polity. Uh, a territorially bounded sovereign polity, that's P-O-L-I-T-Y, in other words, a state that is ruled in the name of the community of citizens who identify themselves as a nation. So Floridians, we, the community that identify themselves, uh, and Floridians, me, <laughs> would be living in a territorially bounded sovereign polity, in other words, the state of Florida. Okay? So the state of Florida would be a nation state. So as a nation state, we have a boundary, we have a border, 
Uh, we don't have passports to enter for Americans, but uh, foreign folks coming in, if they land in Miami, you know, they have both federal border crossing, and uh, I'm sure the state you know, has an interest in knowing who's flying in, too. Um, and so the states have uh, those citizens of the United States are also citizens who live in Florida are also citizens of the state of Florida. So Florida has citizenship. All of us Americans are dual citizens. That is the characteristic of a nation. Do we issue passports? No. The federal government does. Uh, we don't have any, any restrictions of Americans crossing into different states. Well, maybe if you take somebody underage, but that's a different story. That's a crime. But as far as going, Americans, there's no restrictions. You can go to any state you want. You can live in any state you want. Uh, no problem. Just go. Uh, and, and you're all set there. But there's still, but nations have the qualities of being able to tax. Well, the states do that. Uh, they have uh, a military. Well, we have a national guard. Uh, they have police. Yep, that's a, quali- that's a characteristic of a nation. They have a border, and they have citizenship. Well, um, because of the 14th Amendment, we have, we have dual citizenship, the state in which we reside, and the United States. So, so we're both. So, so the, the states actually have every, um, everything, every definition of a uh, nation, except that they don't control all the laws. The states have gotten together in a confederation. It'd be sort of like the European Union. So in other words, if, uh, if our federal government were, were in some ways like the European Union, in fact, in many, actually in many ways, they are like the European Union. They're too big, too bloated, too powerful, and they uh, do too much. But the original idea was that a, uh, the states would agree to, to have a federal government for things they can't do. So the whole idea of a nation state kind of intrigues me. So if you hear me talking about states as nation states, that's why I'm doing it. Okay, let's get one more um, article here. This is from, let me see here. This is Emerald Robinson, you know, one of my favorite reporters. I got a few. Um, so it's interesting. One American News, I got a few reporters there I really like. Uh, Newsmax has a couple that are, that are kind of uh, coming through. Fox. Yeah, I even watched a couple of reporters, and uh, uh, Lindell TV is another one, and one of them is Emerald on um, Lindell TV, and she did one, uh, it says three hours ago, but I know this is a different day, so let me refresh this article, I'll give you a timeline on this one, it does make a difference, I think, so let's see what this comes through, so Emerald Robinson, her substack is the right way, uh, and I'm thinking of uh, where I'm going to start writing articles, too, I used to write for the Intellectual Conservative. And I'm trying to think where I'm going to get the most reach. I'm going to be able to have the most success and, and go from there. So this is November 22nd. So it was not three hours ago, but three days ago. And she said, COVID 2022, here comes the big kill. The corporate media uh, in America has completely dropped, dropped the COVID pandemic narrative in the second half of 2022. It's almost as if our corrupt corporate and political elites want you to forget their two-year propaganda campaign to impose universal vaccinations public masking, and lockdowns. This is similar to the article I read at first, right? It says, what has happened? They're scrambling to obscure the next stage of COVID pandemic, the big kill. Mortality statistics from the first half of 2022 have finally been released from a handful of countries. And what started as a terrible anecdotal, what started as terrible anecdotal evidence a year ago has now hardened into nightmarish data, into a nightmarish data storm. And here's, uh, it's called, the, she calls it the big kill. I wonder if other folks do too. Anyway, Dr. Roger Hodkinson, H-O-D-K-I-N-S-O-N, says, shall we forgive and forget? <laughs> Absolutely not. I am full of vengeance. I am vengeful. It's not a time to say, I'm sorry. It's a time to put these bastards in jail. I'm calling it the big kill. Oh, this is where it started. It's the physicians, not just the politicians. So yeah, I agree. Uh, why do you think I've been calling uh, Fauci Dr. Fascist for, for two years? You know, Dr. Fascist, the genocidal, psychopathic, avaricious, narcissistic, pathologically lying vaccine drug pusher. There's a reason I came up with that title. That's who he is. And so I've always blamed uh, public health doctors. 
And I had a colleague used to say, well, those are, you know, Dr. Fauci's an expert. You're not. Are you a doctor? I said, no, I'm not a doctor, um, but I can read studies. You know, I'm not a meteorologist either, but I know when it's raining. You know, so there's a certain common sense to people. And if you're expert, if, you, if you're thinking that just because somebody calls themselves an expert or they're characterized as an expert, it's not guaranteed that they're right. I mean, there's a whole lot of experts that are wrong all the time. And you have to look at the agenda. So if, is Fauci an expert? Yeah, at making money. I mean, he's accumulated millions of dollars. He's an expert at manipulation. He's an expert at psychological mind control. Uh, he's an expert at looking innocent and making everybody else take the blame for what he does. He's, he's, he's definitely an expert. Now, is he an expert on public health? Hell no. You know, he's an expert on making money by, uh, and on mandates and forcing people to, uh, to take a vaccine so he can make billions or millions in license fees and royalties, and Big Pharma can make billions. And Big Pharma is, you know, an expert, too, uh, in uh, having the taxpayers pay their entire pharmaceutical manufacturing, advertising, storage, transportation, research, development, um, and everything else, implementation of their, their uh, snake oil jab, but uh, not have them uh, pay for any losses and still keep all the profits. So they have no expenses, and yet they keep the profits. Right? That's fascism. That's corporate. That's the government rewarding the corporation. Uh, for doing the things government wants done, which is the mandate, and Big Pharma wants done, which is to have stuff paid for uh, and have the mandate so they can sell more of their stuff. Anyway, it says mortality statistics for the first half of 2022 have finally been released from a handful of countries. Yeah, not us. And what started as a terrible anecdotal evidence a year ago uh, has now hardened into a nightmarish data storm. So let's take a look. That's the phrase Dr. Hodkinson has coined for the rapid increase in excess mortality rates across the vaccinated world. It's called the big kill. Notice she says the vaccinated world. Okay, I'm not in the vaccinated world. I'm never going to be. Uh, I was against these back in the 90s when we had the, the previous. People forget we had another vaccine uh, high alert and people were looking into it. They said, I don't know if we need these. We've got too many. And so a lot of people who had young kids, me included, uh, said, no, you know, uh, my kid's fine. And so uh, people forget that just because there are bad diseases out there, uh, there's a couple of ways you can treat it. Vaccine if you want. I don't happen to think they work. Um, the second would be uh, treatment. Um, the third is immune system. So you build up the biggest immune system you can uh, with the healthiest, you know, foods and exercise and things like that. All right. So then she says, that's the phrase Dr. Hawkinson has coined. Oh, here we go. For example, let's take a look at data from Denmark. The increase in excess deaths in 2022 is very serious. And we have free to express 12. This is a tweet. Saw this recently on a Danish excess, saw this recently on Danish excess death rates. Government won't ever come out and admit what has taken place. They know, though, the birth rates will be much scarier. So that was, that was a, a YouTube on that. Um, you can go to Rickley and you can get all this stuff. She says, he's, yeah, she says, it's the same story everywhere now. Deaths are way up and vaccine injuries are way up too. This is now happening on such a scale that it's impossible to cover it up with the usual media gaslighting tactics. If you really want to get into the nitty gritty of the excess death data, you should read the ethical skeptics research. I'm not sure who that is, but guess what? Time to find out. There's a mix of disturbing anecdotal evidence along with singular personal tragedies in the daily news that's hard to miss. One day you'll read that myocarditis has increased 100% in Canada among children. Uh, and then the next day you'll read that a four-year-old boy who was the public face of Argentina's national vaccination campaign has passed away. You'll watch yet another media personality collapse on live TV and you think to yourself, is this the fifth or sixth time I've seen this in the last three months? Probably is. So uh, we've got here New World Odor, O-D-O-R, 
Another tweet says, I hope she's okay. This is another reporter who collapses, right? Another climate change victim collapses on camera. Well, it's not climate change. It's COVID shots. Next part. Meanwhile, Georgia has, excuse me, Google, little, little, I got to slow down my reading. Meanwhile, Google has started suppressing search results for, quote, died suddenly. That's a video out there. In fact, we, we tried posting it and it immediately was taken off Facebook. So, so go find it yourself on Rumble. Google has started suppressing search results for died suddenly. That phrase also has been trending on Twitter for the last several months. Uh, be warned, the countless personal stories that are posted on a daily basis with the hashtag, hashtag died suddenly on social media sites are so heartbreaking that it's difficult to read them. It's true. It's true. Here's another text. Uh, it says, I've woken up to a text saying my work colleague died suddenly last night from a heart attack. This is the third person age 35 to 45 I personally know in less than the last month. This was not happening pre-mRNA, quote, technology. She says, I've talked, to, I've talked to quite a few people who don't feel the same after getting vaccinated, and they feel even worse after they visit their doctor and get the cold shoulder. The, excuse me, the medical profession in America has totally destroyed its credibility by pimping for big pharma. People are never going to forget the treason of their physicians. Never. They know those bastards tried to kill them. The bill for that betrayal hasn't come due, but it will very soon. Nobody signed up to live in a banana republic where Nicki uh, Minaj was, better, was a better source of health advice than the CDC. But here we are. And then they have a meme. She, she posts this. I have tried to follow the science, but it was simply not there. And then I followed the money. That's where I found the science. How bad is the kill? How many are suffering from vaccine injuries? How many will die before their time? How many unborn babies were killed? How many people have sterilized themselves and their own children by getting jabbed? We simply don't know. Neither the specifics nor the scale at this point. Most of the heavy lifting and data gathering are being done by a handful of journalists on Substack. Yeah, um, Alex Berenson. Um, what's his name? This, I don't get my email. I, I get most of them myself. So uh, Emerald Robinson, Alex Berenson. Uh, who's another? Who's, there's somebody I'm trying to think of that, uh, that does a bunch of them. Uh, I think it's Keith something. Huh. Maybe he's not sending me emails anymore. Oh, come on. That's no fun. Anyways, there's, there's a few more. I'm, I'm scrolling through, seeing if I can find uh, just one of those other people. No, apparently uh, that, that's a weird thing too, that I've noticed that you'll, you'll subscribe to an email service and all of a sudden it's not there. It's just not there. <laughs> you know, and like, wait a minute. How long has it been not there? Well, I guess they drop off after a while. Who knows why? Maybe if you don't advertise. So anyway, it says, um, most of the heavy lifting and data gathering are being done by a handful of journalists on Substack, not by government agencies or World Health Organizations. Of course not. They're just beginning to unpack the data, and it's already very bad. More than 5 billion people have been injected with at least one dose of the COVID vaccine. 5 billion have been injected by this thing? This is tragic. So if we extrapolate a 6% heart injury hospitalization rate from Steve Kirsch's famous survey, oh, Steve Kirsch is the guy I was looking for, that works out to 300 million people. Hmm, that's almost our population. 300 million people with heart injuries. If the brilliant and brave Dr. Robert Malone is correct that a majority of vaccinated people have undiagnosed myocarditis, that's swelling of the heart, that would mean 3 billion people are at serious risk of sudden cardiac death. So there you go. And here's another one. Catherine Austin Fitz, uh, New World Order, says, the only thing I've ever seen that would explain this is a quota system being enforced by a trade and credit embargo globally where every country or state is given a quota of how much they have to reduce their population. 
that's an interesting thought. I mean, that's, that's Chinese communism. It wouldn't surprise me um, if that's what's happening. All right, so on that medical note, got my medical stuff out of the way, let me play you another, um, another thing. Maybe I should, give, should I give you another musical selection. Yeah, let's let's have a little fun with our music here. Give you one more musical selection, then I'll play you my last interview with Dr. Red Cross. Now that you're in a mood for medical things, this is kind of like a um, a Wellness Wednesday. Let's see if I can find my William Tell. This will this will brighten your spirits too. Uh, here we go. Be right back. Looks like millions of you are in states where the governor dictator has said that food is essential, but God is not. Fortunately, we have a solution for you. We've combined your essential food shopping with a non-essential religious experience. Being in the same building and being completely intertwined, you can't do one without the other. Welcome to the New Normal Church and Grocery Store. Yes, the New Normal Church and Grocery Store is the first business of its kind to bring God conveniently into your food shopping aisle. Think of this as food for your body and food for your soul. No social distance or group size restrictions here. Upon entering the new normal church and grocery store, you will pick up your shopping cart. You can then choose from an optional mask with a Star of David, a cross, a crescent moon, a sun for you Shintos, a statue of Buddha, and for you agnostics, a question mark. Headsets are available to place sermons throughout your shopping experience. Some of the favorites include I'm Going to Heaven and You're Not, Die, infidel, die. Oi, what not to say during the bris. And that butterfly may be your grandfather. To orient you to the store, the kosher Jewish deli is by the Western Wall. A simple shalom gets you service, but be prepared to haggle. For you Muslims, out of courtesy, we put the halal butcher by the Eastern Wall. Sharia store policies require the wearing of both a burqa and a mask, just to be safe. Protestants will find the Wonder Bread, hot dogs, and steak in the central aisles, where all the best-dressed customers can also be found. When you notice the smell of incense, you are nearing the Buddhist section, which is all vegetarian. 
For Catholics, communion is available in the bakery department by the wafers near the red wine section. Agnostics should go directly to customer service because you folks have no idea what you want anyway. Be sure to offer your confessional to the checker on the way out if you so choose. Please don't forget to first pull down the blind on the plexiglass screen. And if you require ministering, you can talk to your bagger as they push your groceries to your car because all our baggers are cross-trained in theology. The New Normal Church and Grocery Store, your combination alternatives to the separation of church by the state. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws. My pillow pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio Live. Joe Biden's Dark Winter. No freedom, no liberty, no guns, no representation, no oil, no coal, no nuclear power, no space force, no constitution, no family gatherings, no vacations, just taxes, work, misery, masks, lockdowns, and ever more government. This is what will happen if you let Marxists steal the election. This has been a public service announcement of Action Radio, reminding you it's time to get off your butt and save your country.
Singer back here, Action Radio. Greg Penglis, your host, and uh, I feel so official when I play things like that. So like I should sound like an official radio guy. Uh, this has been an interesting show. It's the first one I've done in, in, in a long time where it's just been me. So I've been playing a variety of things. If you'll notice, uh, if you're listening carefully, <laughs> you'll notice that I, I had a um, my Biden's dark winter, you know, which is my prediction before the 2020 election of what would happen if there was an insurrection. And unfortunately, I was proven correct. Uh, the other one I snuck in there was the new normal church and grocery store. That was one of those sarcastic um, pieces I made during the lockdown of 2020. And so I have another one in mind. I'm going to start doing that again because it really was a lot of fun. And uh, I, I get to say things that uh, apparently not a lot of other folks you know, are saying, which is, which is really kind of interesting. But that's, that's why I do those things. All right. So we've got uh, we've got a little time left. We'll run a little bit over here. I, I, I didn't expect to. I thought it was a real short show today because it's just me talking. But between the articles and the interviews, and uh, I've, uh, I, made a, uh, I edited another one last night, so we'd have that available for today. Uh, and that is another one that was done um, less than two weeks after the one I played earlier with Ben Garrison. This is Dr. Red Cross. And I've forgotten his first name. It'll be on the, the show here. But this was uh, May 15th of 2017. The, the Ben Garrison was May 3rd. So just less than two weeks later, I had this guy, Dr. Red Cross. Now, Dr. Red Cross came to us by way of, of public relations people. And so this is what happens a lot of time in talk radio. You'll have PR firms that they want to get the person on the air so that their books sell, their, uh, you know, whatever their, whatever their um, uh, the most recent accomplishment is, new TV show, thing, whatever it is. So they come on radio. And what's really funny is that a lot of times they will give you questions. And say, well, here are your questions, and, you know, or, and, and here's here's your talking points, right? So they give you these bullet points, right? And this, Dr. Red Cross was the first one because I'd only been in radio for a couple of months, right? So I, I'm, I'm uh, this is my first experience with a PR agent, and so I get the so the PR agent, uh, I forgot who it was, and they're not important the name anyway. So they send me an email. Uh, Would you be interested in having Dr. Red Cross on the show? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Right? So it's okay, fine. You know, and then uh, they send me back another one and says, well, here, here are your suggested bullet points. So they don't order me to do it, but it's, here's your, your suggested uh, talking points. And here are the questions that uh, we think you should ask on the show. And if anybody knows me even for 30 seconds, know that I'm not going to take somebody else's bullet points. I'm certainly not going to take their questions to ask. Don't tell me how to do my show. That's, the, that's like the one unpardonable. Okay. I mean, uh, anybody is pretty much welcome to do anything. I mean, I'm very tolerant of just about everything except this one thing. <laughs> and this is the one that gets me. Don't try to tell me how to do my show. Don't take over my show. Don't pretend it's your show. <laughs> you know, don't do things like that. That's the quickest way to, to never come back to action radio again. And so these folks, they didn't know. I mean, they didn't know me and I didn't know them. So I, I didn't scream or yell or accuse them. I, I just actually called them up. I said, uh, wait a minute, is, it, is this how you do this? I said, what's with the questions and what's for the bullet points? I said, uh, and, and the woman I talked to was really nice in the PR firm. She says, oh, oh you, you write your own questions? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> oh, um, uh, well, these are suggested topics. I said, well, actually, they're not bad. The topics are okay, um, but I'm still going to you know, do what I want with the questions, and we'll develop them as I see fit. And besides, I've already uh, you know, had researched the, the doctor at this point, Dr. Red Cross. And uh, I take a look, and I said, well, I said, by the way, I have my own questions, my own research. She goes, oh, you're a real talk show host. It's like one of the nicest compliments I ever got on the radio. You're a real talk show host. Because apparently, if you wonder why talk show hosts all sound the same, why they all sound like idiots for the most part, why they, uh, they don't have a new idea in their head, it's because there are PR firms handing them their, uh, their guests and they're handing them uh, prearranged questions and prearranged talking points. That's not radio. That's not journal journalism. And I don't pretend to be a journalist. I'm an advocate. Okay? So, but uh, those that do pretend to be journalists, <laughs> that's not journalism. Journalism is, is doing your own research and then publishing your own work. Everything I do on this show here uh, is original. And if it's not, I give it credit. Every article that I talk about, 
I give you a date, I give you the author, and I give you the, the publication it's from. Because I don't, I don't say, take credit for anybody else's work. You can't do that. In the same way, um, I don't want people taking credit for my work. If someone says, hey, I wrote this bill, you know, and it's mine, you know, and uh, I've got a website that does it, and it's not me saying it, that's wrong. <laughs> that's, besides being a copyright and trademark infringement, it's illegal, <laughs> you know, in a bunch of ways. But, uh, but that's how we protect our things. You know, uh, it's in the Constitution, Article 1, Section 8, protecting you know, for a limited time, I'm not sure how limited, um, you know, uh, intellectual and, and uh, other property and products and things like that. Anyway, so the PR firm was really nice. And I said, I, I got this. Okay. I've been in radio two months, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. And I said, yeah, I got this. Not a problem. So let me interview Dr. Red Cross. And actually it turned out to be really nice. And he's one of these alternative healing, interesting guys. I'll, I'll play it for you in a second. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh boy, my throat's not doing well today. But this is, um, this is another one of those uh, W.E.B.Y. classic interviews. Again, this was this wonderful period from March 1st of uh, 2017 until Friday the 13th of July 2018. I remember it well. I was let go on Friday the 13th. <laughs> what are the chances, right? And so, uh, I, again, I don't get the – I still get, I get PR stuff now too because I'm getting you know, more connected in radio world, and that's kind of good. Anyway, so when you hear W.E.B.Y., that's, that's a, that station does not exist in that form anymore. Uh, I'm not there. I'm here on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, phone numbers are wrong. The phone number for us here is 215-383-3832. We have the live chat if you want to comment during the interview because I'm not going to take calls during it, obviously. Um, and this is recorded. This was recorded May 15th of 2017. So let me give you now uh, my interview in my very early days of radio with uh, Dr. Red Cross. <laughs> Oh, yeah. 8.06 in the morning here at the Action Radio Hour. And we have a real celebrity this time. I'm kind of excited about this. This is going to be fun. And so let's, uh, let's introduce our guest. He earned his medical degree from Columbia Presbyterian Medical Center in New York. He founded MediStop, an urgent care walk-in clinic in California. He founded Red Cross Concierge, a personalized medical practice. And he is a real live celebrity TV doctor. Please welcome Dr. Ken Red Cross. Dr. Ken, are you out there? I am with you, Greg. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm very well. We're having a great time here. I'm really excited to have you on because this is a topic, uh, especially the opioid epidemic, I've wanted to cover uh, for a long time. But you're, you're like the celebrity TV doc, so coming to our show here. Where, what have you done for TV stuff, just out of curiosity? Oh, sure, sure. You're, put, you're putting the pressure on me there, Greg. Oh, right? you haven't heard anything oh. yet. Where, where do we get to my questions? <laughs> I know, right? You know, so like that dude that was doing the Nancy Grace show, Primetime Justice on, on CNN, okay. Inter Entertainment Tonight, the, the Doctors. Um, I go around the U.S. talking about good stuff that we're going to talk about day, today. And so a lot of different TV shows. But the good thing for me is, is to be able to do this and kind of reach out and, and educate patients all around the world this way. So I'm very fortunate and blessed to do what I do, that's for sure. That's wonderful. Now, I have to ask you, though, a name like Red Cross as a doctor, that's like a chef being named Cook. Okay. I know, I know. <laughs> pretty much. You know, it's funny. How did this happen? Practiced. I trained here in New York, like you said, but I went right. out to California, and I ended up having a practice in Beverly Hills, okay. and everyone there changes their name, so they always ask me, Doc, did you change your name? I was like, no, guys, I am not that important, okay? So you know it was like um, Dr. Slaughter or something like that, or what? Exactly. <laughs> you know what? It's interesting. You know, it's a, it's a Native American last name. My oh, okay. father is... 
uh, Native American and African American. So it's an uh -huh. interesting uh, history to it. Well, do you have, oh, which is a great question, do you have any Native American medical traditions, knowledge, herbal, uh, plant kind of things in your practice at all? You know, it's funny you ask that because I think that's what's kind of molded me in my practice. In fact, some of the things we'll talk about today, it's important yeah. that I always want to make sure that the remedies we talk about are a little bit closer to the earth because okay. of that of that feeling of the, the Native American background. I remember going to powwows as a kid, and so that's always been a big part of trying to see how I can help people heal without medications or without anything that necessarily requires my prescription pad. Yeah, what uh, what what uh, which nation is the family from? I'm just curious. It was oh, so it was a Monacan tribe, a small tribe out in Appomattox County, which is in Maryland, and huh. so small. We usually happens is that the Cherokee Nation and some of the bigger nations kind of right. engulf them, and that's what the Cherokee Nation did with the Monacan tribe. So very small tribe out uh, out that way in Maryland. Yeah, I'm always curious about Native Americans. One of my my favorite people in my life was an Narragansett, and profound influence on me. So I always have a kind of a special place uh, for Native Americans. But let's let's get on to our, our topic here, and I've got like three hours worth of questions for you. So I want to get started. Oh no. No, oh, yeah. So <laughs> I'll, I'll just have to have you. I'll have to have you back. But uh, we're going to talk about pain at first. So I have like the three part. Yeah kind of thing I want to do of what pain is and then how it's being cured and what we could do to cure it better. So what exactly is pain? How does the body generate it? You know, it's interesting. There's so many different types of pain, right? There's okay. neuropathic pain, which are pains that are coming from um, issues as far as the nerve endings. There's also a pain called nociceptor pain, and that's when you're actually getting pain within the muscles themselves. Um, so there's a lot of different ways to process it, but we all can wrap our minds around the fact that pain is something that causes a lot of discomfort and is something right. that affects our everyday. And pain is one of those things, as we're seeing now in the news, you've already mentioned that, mm -hmm. it's really impacting our society as a whole now. So now it's something that we all have to kind of perk up to and listen as to how are we going to manage our own pain and how do we understand what's going on around the United States in particular and how can we all kind of help one another. And that's the yeah. important part, I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, believe me, we'll get to that. I want to just get an understanding of how the body does this because the body creates pain. So there must be a yeah. reason for this. Is there evolutionary? Is it survival? Yeah. Why, do we know, have, why do we have pain? Yeah, this whole thing, the pain, pain is, is, is God's great design, right, to let us know something is wrong in the body. It's a warning sign. Okay. It's kind of like, you know, you see the fire engines going, and you see them, you know, letting everyone know, hey, get out of the way. The, you know, here we are. We need to fight a fire. And that's kind of what your body is trying to tell you. So when you're getting that sort of activity, your body is sending signals up to your brain through the spinal cord okay. and saying, hey, look, whatever you're doing, you've got to stop because you're not supposed to be doing that. And your body and your brain does that literally all day with all these stimuli that we get to let us know that this is something that we cannot do because this is going to actually cause injury much further. Right. So pain is a message. Pain is a warning. Pain is, uh, is useful if you know how to use it. So how can we best use pain to, to help ourselves? Well, you know, the interesting thing is, and we'll touch on this today, Greg, depending yeah. on what kind of office to see me and so forth, it typically is in three kind of categories. Number one, patients are coming in because they're like, Doc, I am achy all over. I'm having muscle pain. Okay. Or else they'll come in and say, you know what, Doc, I'm actually having a lot of pain in my joints. I'm bending. I hear my joints are clicking and, the, and my knee is swollen. What is that? And the third reason why they come and see me, Greg, is because of headaches. And headaches are a common cause of, of problems as well that patients come into the office for. Okay, what is a headache? <laughs> how, is it, what, how does it work? I'm curious the mechanism. 
Well, once again, it depends on the type of headache. Now, you know we have a bunch of different headaches, but let's talk about a couple of the common ones. Number one, the one that we all say that we probably use a little too much, we talk about migraines. Right. Now, migraines are those headaches. Now, first and foremost, migraines usually don't happen every day, everyone. So okay. when you feel like it's a migraine, there's some things that go along with the migraine typically. The first thing is you have what's called an aura. In other words, you start to realize that something just isn't right, whether that's your vision crossing, whether that that you start to get nauseous, something is usually associated with it to let you know that the migraine is coming. The other thing that typically happens with the migraine is a little more debilitating than some of the other headaches that we get each and every day, which is, for instance, the tension headaches. Okay. So tension headaches are the ones that we get more commonly, Greg, and these are the ones that obviously are associated with stress or associated with anxiety, and patients typically describe them as a band around their head. In other words, you just feel like your head's kind of caving in on you a little bit, and that's what that tension headache is. Another headache that you don't typically see, interestingly enough, a lot of the studies said they were a little more common in men, um, and that's with the cluster headache. And the that cluster was my next question, yeah, different from a migraine. Are you familiar with that one? I'm not familiar, but I know it's, it's, like, a, it's like a migraine on steroids. Yeah, it really is a terrible one. It's the one that typically will send someone to the emergency room because the pain is so, so severe. It tends okay. to be pain. It feels like behind one eye. Okay. Um, you'll also typically see some tearing um, at the time with that particular with that particular headache as well. And it also responds, well, not to typical treatments, which is great. You don't mm. need a prescription pad. Lots of times all you need is oxygen. You can go into the emergency room. They give you um, supplemental oxygen, and these patients feel uh, so much better. So it's amazing. Uh, when you see that sort of thing that is improved with that. Hmm. Does pain physically damage you by the pain itself? In other words, can a headache be so bad it actually causes physical damage to your, your head or brain? Well, it just depends. It, it depends once again because when you're talking about a cluster headache in particular, I mean, you don't necessarily get vascular issues, but okay. some headaches are due to vascular issues. So sometimes, Greg, you don't know whether it's kind of the chicken or the egg, right? Okay. You don't know if it's because there is a brain insult, like a stroke, that's later causing a headache or, or vice versa. So it just depends on how the, how the patient presents. Now, getting back to some of the holistic things that we were talking about yeah, that is free. so important to me. There are some things that we can think about in our diet that will actually help those headaches. Number one, there's some studies that show that we should maybe even avoid dairy. If we start realizing that we're getting more and more headaches, kind of make a little, uh, a little cheat sheet for yourself to see, gosh, have I had a lot of dairy recently? The other thing is you want to avoid meats. Uh, that are high in nitrates, such as bacon and hot dogs. Those are a no-no, especially if you know that you're getting more headaches than normal. You want to avoid MSG as well, which is a little better nowadays, okay. Greg. MSG is in Chinese food a lot. Right, for, for um, taste, they say it's like a salt. So you got to kind of be careful there. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I want to get in more into uh, things like that. Um, I read a book not too long ago about uh, diet according to blood type, and I'd be curious to, to hear what you think of this uh, because my – ancestors go back to the, the, the actual Caucasus Mountains. I'm a type B blood person. And so dairy in that ancient diet on the, the Russian steppes and everything else was high in dairy. And so dairy for me yeah. is actually good. In fact, I actually ended up with a kidney stone for cutting back on dairy. And so that's, that's an interesting thing, how that whole complex works. So do blood types make a difference? And are people genetically predisposed to be better with certain diets? 
You know, that's great. A quick question, because what happened was a long time ago, really like in the 80s, that gained a lot of a lot of press okay. and so forth. But you know what's interesting? They have these studies, and it depends on which ones you look at, Greg. Some will say that's not true. Some will say it is true. But I have patients who live by that. You're B. I'm actually AB. Um, that's really rare. I've also yeah. looked at this sort of thing. So I'm a lot like you when you're, yeah. when we're looking at these sort of things as far as healing and so forth. So the data is back and forth. But don't forget, as we look at data uh-huh. and as we look at some of these things that we'll talk about that are a little more holistic, there's not a lot of data on these things. But keep in mind, there was medicine before we got prescriptions. There was medicine before we had pharmaceuticals. So, you know, there is something to this, uh, to some of these things that are out there right now. Okay. We're going to get more into the, the treatments of pain, you know, drugs versus holistic in just a little bit. Uh, we've got to take a quick break. i got Rick on the line. We'll get to him as soon as we come back. It's 816 with my guest, Dr. Ken Redcross and 1330 WEBY. Be right back. What are we talking about? Pain is the only thing that seems to break me down. This is JP Carter. We this last month. Thanks, Lee Doc. Okay, I'll bring you. Uh, back in our conversation here. There's sort of a running joke we have going here. But anyway, um, we've got a, it looks like we're going to have a lot of callers this hour. So what I want you to do, callers, is focus on your question. If I don't take you for a long time, that's why. I want to get as many people as possible. So we'll start right. with our first caller, Rick. So Rick, why don't you go ahead? Hey, Greg and Doctor. Thank you so hey, much Rick. for talking about this subject. It's so important. And I'll try to make these issues quick so I can hang up and okay. you can perhaps address them. Okay. Uh, okay. I see interest in CBD. That's now the new thing with that. And then uh, coming on and explain about opiates. I think it's important people understand how painkillers work. They work on pain receptors in your brain, yeah. which is why yeah. certain pain medications work for certain pain. Some people go to the dentist and are like, the pain medication didn't work. Because you have different pain receptors. What happens is these opiates wrap around that pain receptor, but over time they don't work. So that's what drives the patient into addiction deal with pain for physical therapy, or herbal things, CBD is a new thing. Opiates are terrible because they destroy your other organs, developing further pain and other problems. I had a problem with steroids, prednisone, COPD, 9-11 survivor responder, I got blown out of Tower 2, and yada, yada, yada. So they were juicing me with prednisone. Uh, every time I got the pneumonia and everything, they weren't treating me with the understanding of what was going on in my lungs with 9-11. They were just, oh, here, here's a med pack and here's a Cipro. That's a wonderful right. drug. If you could tell people about the black box warning on that, that crippled me. But anyway, uh, so the steroids, I was like, well, Alzado caused severe osteoporosis, dissolved the disc between my vertebrae. I'm like three inches shorter and crippled up from that. But the people need to know the side effects of those things to opiates because you should be doing things like milk thistle and cleaning out your kidneys and your livers and just explaining the damage all those things and it's not worth it with that, especially steroids and things like that. Yeah. Let's get uh, that is an excellent uh, comment, Rick. Let's get uh, let's get uh, Dr. Kim's comment. Bye-bye. Oh, no problem. Thank you. 
No, no, no. Look, thanks for the call. And the first to the first part of your to the first part of your of your comment, you're you're absolutely right there when we're talking about uh pain and receptors, guys. So one of the receptors that everyone may have heard about are mu receptors, M U receptors that are in our brain. And these are the receptors that opioids latch onto and why they become such a problem. Look, this has been something that actually started probably back in two thousand, maybe even ninety nine when we started to realize that a lot of patients were dealing with pain, and they were getting opioids, but they'd go to the emergency room, and they'd get almost three months of opioids until they saw their primary care doctor. And so that started to become a point to when there was dependence, and then there became addiction, and then now we're to the point to where it's almost cheaper for those who are addicted to actually go out and abuse heroin as the opioid. So there are some things that we're going to have to really deal with as a, as a society and how we actually um, manage this massive pain problem that we're having. Now, to your other point in comment there, yes, there are a lot of things on the western side of medicine that can definitely cause some problems. What I like to do is I like to do my best to balance them. In other words, while I'm trained as a western trained physician, uh, we've already talked about my, my opinion on holistic healing and making sure there's a spiritual aspect to getting better as well. So while prednisone can cause some problems like it did for you, um, and your and the vertebra and 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 that sort of thing. There are some other good uses of prednisone as well. But to your point, it's got to be a balance. There definitely has to be and be a balance. Now he also mentioned CBD, um, and that's pretty much uh, it's cannabidol is called. It's a it's a it's a medical marijuana in a sense. And as everyone I'm sure is listening, there's a little bit of controversy uh, around say, that. Yeah. But you will get patients who swear. Uh, by the benefits um, of the pain relief and management that they get with that. So the jury is a little out, but it's definitely gaining a little bit of steam in the medical community as far as studies and so forth. Yeah. I want to go into what exactly an opioid is and where we got them. It comes from opium, right, and then heroin and morphine derivatives. What is it and what does it do in the body? Well, once again, it goes to those receptors, and the dangerous thing is, uh, is actually, Greg, is that it gets to these receptors which are pleasing. In other words, they give you a sense of euphoria, um, and when you get that sense of euphoria, that's when it starts to get to that to that point um, to where is it going to be? Are you one of those people who has that addiction potential? I mean, there's a lot of talk about whether, especially with opioids, if there's actually a certain type of person who's more susceptible to addiction than others. So it is something that is really really becoming extremely important for us to to realize that. Now, you'll see a lot of things that's happening, at least at the government level, because I think this is where it's going to all have to start. Before President Obama left, Greg, he actually pledged $1.1 billion with a B, dollars, to figure out how we can fight this prescription drug and heroin abuse. Mm -hmm. So it's one of these things that I I think we're all going to hear not only more about it, but we're all going to be impacted by this if we don't kind of come together as a community and realize that this is a a major problem, and especially with heroin in particular. Heroin is used, uh, you know, a couple of different ways. Number one, you'll get patients who come in and they're sniffing it, actually, Greg. And the other thing is the fact that they're obviously injecting it. And the issue with that is that now we've had so many more uh, opioid users, hepatitis C, which usually comes from blood to blood mm-hmm. um, and, is getting, and is being transmitted by needles, has, has almost tripled um, at this point uh, as far as in our, in our society and in our community. So we have to get our mind around this stuff because it's really affecting all of us in, in different ways. Well, I'll tell you about my experience in a little bit, but first I want to get to uh, Rick here. And so, Rick, you're on the air now with uh, Dr. Ken uh, Red Cross. Hi, Greg. This is Good. Steve. Oh, I'm sorry, Steve. My mistake. Yeah, hey, Steve. Steve. How Steve. are you, Steve? I'm great, Doctor. I want to 
Put first out, The Cancer of the Forbidden Cures is a documentary anyone can watch on YouTube. It's been out there for years. Okay. Uh, my wife has been researching holistic and natural medicine for over three decades, and I want to thank you, Greg, for having this doctor as a guest in this community because it's needed yeah. with all the pharmaceuticals and the other uh, allopathic issues uh, of medicine. Uh, What's allopathic? Regular medicine that the regular medicine that, that we the doctors in, in, in the pharmaceutical in our training the okay. pharmaceutical drugs that the, that the Rockefellers funded in the early 1900s and that is covered in cancer the forbidden cures there yeah. are cures for cancer and that's yeah. covered in this video yeah, that's a little beyond our scope right now correct, Do you have a question correct. for the doctor no no question I just want to thank you for being on oh. and for have people watch cancer the forbidden cures on YouTube thanks Rick thank you. Steve excuse me. Thanks, Steve. Thanks this for sharing, Steve. Yeah, my mistake. <laughs> like, signs are still up on, on my window. It's like, <laughs> like I'm reading the wrong name. I know Steve. Steve's a regular caller. Steve has some amazing stories. I want to tell you uh, my personal experience, which I really haven't talked about much on the air here. Okay. Um, and it's part of the reason I had you on. Um, I had open heart surgery uh, six months ago. And oh my gosh. So, well, it's okay. I'm fine now. I mean, my heart's in great shape. I mean, I got no murmur. I'm I'm doing well. But um, the, what was interesting, and uh, in fact, I actually moved out here from California to Florida four months after surgery, which is kind of a story in itself. Yeah, but, that's imp- it's impressive. Well, I, not a lot holds me back. You know, once you get determined, and I think that's what carries you through things like open heart surgery. Here's the point that, that's related to this conversation. Um, they were willing to give me far more opiates than I wanted, and yeah, so I, I'm yeah. really careful about because I've said a little bit about this before. Pain, as I said, as you said, actually, it's a warning. It's a message to the body. Yeah. And so I use pain for myself to guide what I can and can't do. And I did it after surgery. And believe me, open heart surgery hurts. <laughs> there's, there's no, I have a great appreciation for, you know, stabbing and gunshot victims. You know, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, like sure, yeah. I'm sure you do after that because yeah. it's a big incision to your point. It's a big procedure. Oh, huge. But here's the thing that, that was interesting was that uh, I would tell the doctors, no, you're giving me too much pain medication. And the biggest reason was what you said before, euphoria. I, when they when I was on how much they wanted me to have, I felt like Superman. And I felt like yeah. I could yeah. fly down the hallway. And I thought, wait a minute, I could be stressing my body out. I could be doing damage to myself because I don't feel anything. So what I did was I cut it back to half and then a quarter of what they were recommending so that I would have just enough pain medicine so I wasn't feeling miserable, uh, but, but not enough that it covered up. So I just always had a little bit of pain so I could use the indications without suffering needlessly. How's that for strategy? No, and that's a great strategy, and, and that's what you kind of have to do nowadays. I think at this point the medical community is trying to catch up to where you are, Greg, because okay. you still were able to get that pain relief at a much smaller dose than what they gave you. Yep. And who knows what would have happened if you would have taken that. Major surgeries like that, that's when you get these folks who are out there that are taking way too much because they don't know. They may not be as educated as you are on this, Greg, and then not realizing that they're slowly getting addicted. Now, yep. you had a major surgery, so you actually had your chest wall Split open, so we're no, actually, no, I had pain. I had a port ent- I had a port entry. I got a fabulous surgeon, which I'm going to have on the air sometime. Did a port entry, did repaired a mitral valve, didn't replace it. I mean, I really looked into this before I had it done. But uh, so oh, I had, wow, it was so you had a minimally invasive surgery yep. there. So, yep. but even still, oh, you, know, yeah. you still had pain that could have that was there. Oh yeah, be from bony <laughs> pain or muscle pain. Now, when you were talking about that particular surgery, you know, yeah. one of the things I mentioned earlier that patients see me uh, at least a lot. My practice is um, a pretty pretty active active bunch, and so. 
they tend to come in with with muscle pain. Now, to your point, mm-hmm. I'm very rarely ever talking about. I, I hardly ever prescribe opioids at all, unless we're talking about cancer pain and that sort of thing. I didn't know what but opioid what it thing, was. They just gave it to me. I mean, I learned later what it was, but it's like, whoa, this is weird stuff. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and and you feel it immediately. And mm-hmm. so when patients come in, depending on the pain, like for instance, for muscle pain, I never ever think about opioids or anything like that. In okay. fact, when they come in, I always talk to them about a uh, homeopathic medicine. It's actually it's interesting because we're staying closer to the earth again. It's called Arnica Montana. Okay. Uh, and it's also it's Arnicare, and it comes as a gel or a cream. And the reason why I like this one, Greg, is it helps as far as the release of, uh, uh, relief of, like, muscle pain and stiffness and also for bruising as well. With a lot of my patients don't like that bruising when they're out and about, especially with the summer coming up and mm-hmm. um, everyone's going to be kind of exposed and a little more skin. Who wants to see that? And the other thing I'm in Florida. That happens all year. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And the other thing I love about Arnicare, it doesn't yeah. have that menthol smell either, Greg. It doesn't let everyone know that you're coming a mile away okay. um, and that you have some pain going on there. So when you're thinking about ways, and we're talking about muscle pain in particular, you want to think about things like Arnicare that are homeopathic and avoid um, things like opioids for something as simple as that when we, when we, have, we have things out there. But you just have to be educated on that. And even yeah. to that point, I spent some time out in California, as I mentioned as well, Greg, and that's when I was exposed um, to Arnicare and, and Ocelococcinum as far as flu-like symptoms. And so my mind and, and, and my practice kind of opened up when I got out to California and realized that people were getting better without prescription. Yeah. Um, and it was just amazing to actually see that take place. Are, is there a conflict between Western medicine and your colleagues uh, who are prescribing pills and, and just whatever the latest drug thing is, and you're trying to bring a holistic approach into this, uh, are you getting resistance? You know, and What's going on with that? Then I want some contact information for some websites. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of back and forth, right? Because one of the things I always try to make sure is that everyone realizes, like, it's kind of like I've seen the light. So I am Western trained, but I am open to Eastern ideals of healing. So that way, you know, I'm not always beaten up on Western medicine because we know some of our Western medicines are the best. Like, for instance, for diabetes, we know that the meds that we have now, while they can have some side effects here and there, we know that they help with mortality. But there are some other things that are out there, like maybe chromium is maybe helpful and beneficial as an adjunct. So I do my best, Greg, to kind of balance things out. So you're right. Sometimes in the medical community, for those who are really on the allopathic thing, they'll say, Dr. Red Cross, that is crazy. We're going to do this, that, and the other. But then I always tell them, mm-hmm. patients don't want to take these things because these things are not without risk and without side effects. Not to say that some of the um, things that are out there, such as herbs and so forth, aren't something to be monitored. But once again, staying closer to the earth is better for everything, including our diet as well. And that's a totally different discussion there. We talk about things in the diet that can help us with pain. That's we'll do, huge yeah. for me. We'll do that after a break. I want to get into diet. And I want to get into the psychology of pain as to why people think that a total absence of pain is an ideal and all these things. But do you have like a, a website or how do people learn about both you and, and holistic medicine? Because, you know, people, they go to a health food store, they don't know what to do. They're lost. You know, so where, how can we learn about this? Sure, absolutely. So my website is drredcross.com. That's drredcross.com. Feel free to, to say hello. I'm on uh, Facebook, which is Ken Redcross MD. Twitter is at Dr. Redcross, and Instagram is Dr. Redcross. Always love uh, meeting new folks. So by all means, reach out, say hello, and ask any questions. Okay, let's do that. Let's get back from a uh, break here. It's 833, and we'll uh, talk to Dr. Uh, Ken Redcross in just a little bit. Love, 
Yeah, he's having way too much fun with us again. We're getting songs about uh, about pain here at 837 and with Dr. <laughs> Ken Red Cross. I just want to read a little bit uh, from your information here, which I find uh, staggering. Uh, I guess in March, the CDC came out with new guidelines. Talking about 1,000 people are treated in emergency rooms each day for misuse yeah. of opioids. 14,000 Americans die from prescription opioids each year. $1.1 billion is the amount President Barack Obama uh, put in his 2017 budget designated towards treatment of prescription drug and heroin abuse. $300 billion is the amount spent by Americans each year on pain relief treatments. $315 billion is the amount of productivity lost in America due yeah. to pain. And 125 million Americans are affected by pain. That's like almost half the population. No, it really is. And to that point, Greg, that all that you've talked about, all that is what is the price of pain, all of those things. I mean, you talk about a president that actually puts $1.1 billion of our budget in there. It lets you know that this is something that, that we all need to really kind of perk up and say, you know what, this actually affects me. You may feel like it doesn't, but at some point it will affect someone's family, especially when you're talking about that many people. Yeah. Well, like I say, I noticed how easy it would have been to uh, to get that, that wonderful euphoric feeling you know, that I was getting from the medicine, but I thought that's not what it's designed for. And so I knew just intrinsically something was wrong, even though I became much more educated afterwards as to what was what was happening but i want to talk about the psychology of pain treatment because we've gone from a nation of pioneers of people that uh, you know rode wagons across the country uh your background is native americans who have just thousands of years of of history and culture and, and pain was probably a you know a daily part of life to this nation where we need instant gratification instant results instant 100 percent pain removal take a pill it's all done with how, how do we make that transition you know, I think it's actually slowly happening. I mean, we're talking about the the holistic side of healing now becoming okay. a multi-billion dollar industry. So I think at this point, patients already come to me, and when we're discussing, we're like, the first thing is like, Doc, I don't want any medication. That's why I came here to see you in the first place, because I heard about you. I heard that you're open, at least. Yeah. And then you're starting to see that patients are realizing that there is addiction potential with these things. And now and patients are also tired of side effects to where they're looking at some of the commercials that we have out there for some of the medications, and half of the side effects are worse than a disease itself. Okay. And and they're realizing, you know, maybe I don't want to necessarily take this particular thing. So there is absolutely a psychological por- portion to how we actually process our pain and deal with it because from there you get emotional factors that make a big difference as well that affect us, whether it makes us feel hopeless or sad or anxious or angry. Um, these are all things that kind of can occur when pain isn't treated properly and things that uh, you have to have a good discussion with your doctor about these things. But what I was thinking of is, is like the you hear this, you know, you see the ads on TV. This will give you instant relief. This will cure everything. And I'm wondering if there's a psychology in there that maybe you're not seeing those patients, but I think people intrinsically think that they just go to the doctor, they get a prescription, and everything's going to be instantly solved, as opposed to using the pain, you know, to diagnose and and to, to make it work for you. Do you think that's what's going on? No, for sure. And then not only that, don't try not to leave there with a prescription necessarily. I mean, there are some okay. things that don't require a prescription. When you're talking about joint pain, Tai Chi mm-hmm. has shown some benefit as far as making a huge difference in pain. When we talked about headaches earlier, there is a an herb called Feverfew. Feverfew has, has been around for thousands of years. Also in the Daisy family, like when I mentioned Arnicare earlier, I told yep. you it was from mm-hmm. Arnica, Montana. Yep. It's also called the Mountain Daisy. Well, Feverfew in itself is also from the Daisy family 
family as well um, that's beneficial for headaches, just like lavender and peppermint and basil oils actually help for migraines and tension headaches. So, you know, these are things that, once again, guys, you're going to hear me say it over and over again, closer to the earth. And if you keep thinking of things that way, it makes a huge difference in how we can actually manage our pain each and every day without some of that potential for addiction and even and even for side effects. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to open the phones again, 623-1330. Please feel free to call in and ask the Dr. Ken Red Cross a question. Do you work with um, chiropractors, acupuncturists, any other alternative healers in your practice? Um, you know, usually I have like kind of a network here. I'm in New York City, and so okay. I have a network of folks that I can kind of lean on if I if I do need someone to. But one of my things is I, I make I make house calls to to folks. So well, wait a minute. Say that again. No, no, you got to say that again. You make you make house calls. I, I do. In New York, <laughs> I, do, I do. I know, and I have my little black bag and everything. So you know, it's it's the best. I get a chance to see someone in their home. What better way to help care for someone? He's a real doctor here. This is great. He's on TV and he makes house calls. You can't beat this. <laughs> you know, I I enjoy it. You know, and that's the thing. I think you see so much when you get to the patient's home. And right. one of the things I'm not ready yet, Greg. One of the things I've been close to is writing this book, and it's been since 2007 when I was on the doctor show. Okay. But it's about the the importance of the patient doctor bond, and that's what you're able to do. And and when we're having talks like this and we're we're kind of um, talking and making sure we're involving uh, patients in their care and in their health this way. Right. Um, this is like uh, what medicine should be about and I know we're, we're at a, a crossroads in our healthcare system now so there are hmm. some big time decisions that are going to have to be be made that impacts impacts all of us. Okay. If you're in someone's house, does that give you a chance to check the, the medications they may be on from other doctors or stuff they picked up over the counter and check their diet, see what they have for food in the place? Does that come into the your practice at all? It does, but let me tell you, that's like kind of the that's the easy stuff. The great stuff is when you're kind of, you know, when you're talking about those things, Greg, that's right. kind of from 30,000 feet, but when you come down to like sea level, the best part is when you have someone who's there and they're a little short of breath, you're wondering why their asthma is acting up, and you get there and there's four cats in there. <laughs> and you're like, where are the cats coming from? You didn't yeah. tell me about the cats. You know, uh, you say that's what the problem is. So it's kind of great. It's kind of cool to actually be there and say, you know, these men should be causing a problem. But you can't get that stuff in the history. You know, patients don't remember that thing, that sort of thing. Yeah. Doctors, we are busy. We forget to ask those sort of things. Sometimes we're human. Um, and so it's nice to kind of be there. You see so much, um, and then it gives you a little bit of a better understanding of what's kind of going on in, inside of your patient's soul, as, as I like to say. Yeah, and that's why I think uh, it's, it's interesting that the opioid thing has become, come, you know, it starts off as an individual problem, but now it's become a national uh, problem. Oh, uh, oh got, yeah. Got some ideas for how to deal with it nationally? Oh, yeah. No, it is becoming a problem everywhere. You know, we're seeing so many things that you could never think about years ago. For instance, there was um, a place in Las Vegas to where there was a dispenser for clean needles. I mean, who would have thought that you'd be providing needles for those who are using and abusing heroin? But yeah. the things that go along when needles are shared and diseases that are passed, there's a risk-benefit there. And so, you know, we're seeing so many things that are really trying to focus on how we deal with this with this epidemic. The other thing I'd say, too, Greg, is we're talking about pain, and we had a couple of wonderful callers that already, you know, kind of highlighted how things are affecting them. Right. We need to make sure that we take advantage of our health care. In other words, everything about prevention. You know, we don't want intervention. We don't want that. We need to go to our doctors and make sure that we stay mm. healthy and whole in the beginning. It's a lot easier for us to deal with these things earlier. I know a lot of patients are, are quite nervous to figure out kind of how um, how the health uh, insurance is going to work here in the United States and well, so forth. But 
you know, we have to be an advocate for that. I yeah. think everyone deserves health care. I don't care about I don't care about party affiliation personally, uh, but I think everyone needs to you know to make sure that we stay on our health because no matter what side of the aisle you may be on, we're all going to be a patient at some point. Well, um, someone who so has been a patient, I can, I can speak for that. Yeah, uh, health care is something I, I I'm curious about uh, as far as well, I'll give you my my moral dilemma for conservatives in a minute because we're mostly a, a conservative station here. But, uh-huh, if, uh-huh. but if but if you could advise the Senate. Uh, they've got the, the bill from the House right now. If you could advise right. things that you would like to see uh, in a health care plan that is more preventive as opposed to sick care, which I had another guest talk about, which is where we are now. You wait till you're sick, you go and you spend a fortune. Um, what, what would you put in the health care plan? You know, I think the bigger thing for the health care plan is that we all have to make sure that all of our incentives are aligned. Okay. In other words, you know, you have to make sure that uh, that the hospitals aren't necessarily reimbursed for having more patients in there, right, because that means you have more sick people. You have to make sure that our physicians are able to have the kind of the tools that they need. For instance, for me, I don't think it's great to have doctors seeing 30 or 40 patients a day okay. because it's very difficult to focus on patients' care, the things that are important. Some things that patients see us for, Greg, are not necessarily for medical stuff. They're like spiritual stuff. Like, I heard your daughter just got married. How'd the wedding go? Yeah. How's everything? Are you excited about life? Are you happy with your job? Those are things that I always like to focus on because they actually cause the disease. So when you talk to the Senate, if you got me on the floor, I'd tell them just like I did. I'm not on either one of you guys' side. I'm on the patient side, okay. and at this point, I think all of us deserve care, regardless of our, of our of whatever diseases that we may have unfortunately been afflicted with before. And then the other thing is, I think everyone has to be aligned. Like you can't be paid for volume on one end and then try to get value on the other side. That's why you know the type of medicine that's important to me as far as concierge medicine. I think that's value um, for patients because there is a relationship. There is somebody who is invested in them. That it's all about them. And I think if healthcare starts to say, you know, this isn't about me, this isn't about only my family, you know, it's for everyone. And I think we kind of need to say, okay, guys, let's cut out the political stuff and let's just make sure that we all know we're all going to be patients. So how can we make it? How can we make it happy for everyone and make sure that you know we're going to be on this earth a lot longer together, all of us? Well, we're living longer. Um, we have, yeah, we, we, we are. Better, but yeah. Let me tell you, you're, you're, you're right, and, and there's, but there's been a little study, Greg. This is the first time, though, right. to when we did a study on stress, when we had a little downtick. And I think that was because of stress that we're having. Uh, and there was some relationship to the election, and everybody was so polarized to when that dip actually came and stress went up. Um, so, you know, it's something that we have to keep an eye on. Yes, it is where um, I totally disagree point. with you, because conservatives were ecstatic. Our stress level went way down. But <laughs> We're going to politics another time. We've got to take one more break, and then I'll, I'll ask you about concierge medicine, and I'll tell you what I'm going to do with Action Radio, because I think you might be a great advisor on health care. So let's take our last break. It's 847. I'm on with Dr. Ken Red Cross. Be right back. I hurt myself today. To see if I still feel I focus on the pain Hey dog, I've done himself with uh, the only music for this uh, time. So we're back with Dr. Ken Redcross. It's 8.51. We only have a little bit of time left. So what I want to do is tell you, uh, Doctor, quickly about what I'm going to be doing with uh, talk radio is turning, into sure. action, is turning into action radio. And so I'm working on, a, 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 actually I'm having a website 
uh, prepared right now where we're going to have a section uh, of legislation, and my goal is to turn the radio audience and guests, actually now I'm thinking, uh, into a citizen legislature. And so what I want to do is see if you'd be interested in being an advisor on our health bills. Uh, so when I asked you that question earlier, I'm thinking you'd be a great person to talk to about you know, proposing amendments, uh, bills, you know, healthcare things that would, that would really help out, especially you know, things like reducing the opiate problem, uh, mind-body connection, you know, things that we can put into the healthcare system that will make it much more preventive. So if you're interested in doing that, then we should stay in touch, and I'll let you know when the website's up. Okay. Yeah. The other thing I want to talk about is diet. And yeah. so uh, the, the spice du jour uh, is, is turmeric. Everybody says, well, this is like the wonder cure. It's like if you're gluten-free all of a sudden, you know, uh, then, then your whole world will be solved. And really, that's for celiac, you know. And yeah, so all these yeah, things are going right. So let's distinguish, let's distinguish fads from, uh, from uh, really good stuff. Because you've got a section here uh, on your stuff on turmeric, on magnesium, pumpkin seeds, flax seeds, you know, Swiss chard, spinach, all those good things. What's really good for your diet? What works and, and what's like fads? You know, so the big thing is, I agree, turmeric is definitely the spice du jour, but there is some, there is some good evidence behind turmeric. Turmeric is a, is a, is almost like a superpower of spice, as I always say, and it's great as far as for inflammation, um, as well. And to your point, I love nuts and seeds. Very important. Once again, back to that earth stuff, right guys? We're talking about, um, pumpkin seeds and almonds and sunflower seeds. Those things are all so important. The other things that I always talk about, I always talk about the importance of a probiotic, because pro- Probiotic are putting those good bacteria back in our gut to help us not only fight infection, but also to help support our immune system. The other thing is the power of vitamin D. Vitamin D is extremely important uh, to get into our diet as well. And it's funny, nowadays you ask anyone, and it seems like all of our vitamin D levels are low. Um, and so we need to, to make sure that we're uh, addressing that sort of thing. The other thing that we really need to uh, think about as far as we went back to headaches before, mm-hmm. you wanted to avoid some of those things, but one of the things you want to avoid tends to be some citrus foods as well, such as bananas. Um, uh, well, bananas, not necessarily citrus, but citrus, bananas, avocados, those sort of things all cause problems as far as headaches. And these are things, if we all are listening and say, Food is medicine. So whatever you put into your body is, in essence, a medicine uh, for something that's going on into our body. And so if you think about it and you're more cognizant of what you're putting into your, into your, your machine that we call our body, mm-hmm. you'll really start to impact your health. But you have to do reading. You have to kind of you know, get online a little bit and have some good discussions with your doctor um, so that we can all kind of be on the same page. But I, I think slowly, Greg, we're, we're kind of getting there as a society, yeah. um, but we just have to battle this um, this pain uh, problem that we're, we're having now. Okay. Another thing you raise uh, in your material is, is uh, exercise and obesity. And so how much yeah. does that play into causing more grief for you than you would have otherwise? Yeah, not only does it cause grief, but obesity is a state of inflammation, guys. And inflammation is what we do not want because inflammation causes disease. Inflammation, and when we talk, for instance, you, you're talking about your open heart surgery or your or your uh, bypass surgery that you no, had. No, it was a bypass. It was, it was a mitral valve. So it was. Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry, your mitral valve yeah. replacement or repair for you. Repair. Um, yeah. You know, those things are all important because inflammation is a cause of disease. Our body does not like it, everyone. So you want to make sure you're doing things that release 
increase or let's say reduce that. And we had talked about turmeric. We had talked about um, the importance of reducing our stress as well. And as we're talking about the ways that we can deal with this, like I said, think about things that are closer to the earth. Um, and when you do that, you'll start to realize you'll make better choices when you're out and about because everyone is out eating out these days. But if you think about, you know, it probably doesn't make sense to have a, a hostess cupcake that can be on the shelf for four years. It probably isn't good for your body yeah. if it's able to sustain itself for that long on the shelf, right? So um, that's not in the earth. I've never seen a hostess cupcake planted <laughs> in the earth. Well, um, so we want to avoid that. Yeah, I want to talk about inflammation for a little bit because I've heard that this is is a much greater reason for heart problems uh, than the cholesterol and the fat. And it seems yeah. like the, the guidelines are all changing now. So what exactly is inflammation and how does that uh, affect the heart compared to the other things? All right, guys, so, so let's listen this way. Let's try to imagine uh, a circle in front of us, right? And with that circle that we're all looking at in front of us is one of our arteries. And if we look at that circle, if you can imagine kind of above your head, let's imagine this is a plaque. So let's imagine that there's all this gum. We have all this gum, and we've stuck that gum up to the ceiling of that particular vessel. What happens with that gum is that over time, as there's inflammation, it can become very soft. When it becomes soft and there's something that insults us, or in other words, becomes um, a little more inflammatory, we have a whole bunch of chemicals that are released. And what happens, it causes that gum above our head that we just stuck up to become very foamy and then they start to become a little more let's say active and then that starts to close off that circle that we're all looking into which is our blood vessel that's when you get a heart attack that's when you get a stroke that's what inflammation does to our body so the real way to kind of get through this is to make sure not only the probiotic that I talked about but omega-3 when we're talking about uh, some of the effects with heart that omega-3 is now on board as well which is another anti-inflammatory because you want to stabilize that gum that we talked about pushing in uh, above our heads. We want to make sure that that gum becomes hard and it cannot rupture and cause any problems. So I hope that is a visual. At least everyone lets everyone know we're sitting here and we're looking in that blood vessel and we have stuff above our head and we want to keep that stuff up there where it belongs. So we want that to be nice and hard and calcified over. We don't want it to be soft and have the ability um, to kind of become more active and release a lot of chemicals and block one of our blood vessels. Yes, yeah, certainly. But we only have a few seconds left, and I want to thank you very sure. much. It's been great, and I have a ton more questions. We'll have to do another time. Just give a quick contact information. We've got about 15 seconds, and then we're out of here. Sure, guys. So, look, I just wanted to say, feel free to reach out. My website, once again, drredcross.com, uh, Facebook, Ken Red Cross MD, and also on Instagram. Which and that's it. <laughs> when these interviews ended, they ended. So uh, I was lucky to get them uh, uh, from WBY and able to play them for you now. But they're my interviews, so hey, it's okay. <laughs> so that happened. But it was fascinating to, talking to all the guests that I did get to talk to. And we're gonna, we've had a lot, listen, we've had a lot of great guests on uh, um, Blog Talk Radio, too. Um, you know, Peter Navarro has been on. We've had Colonel, uh, um, oh, what's his name? I can't remember his name now. The, the guy, McGregor. Colonel McGregor's been on a bunch of times. A lot of other folks, have, Wendy Rogers was on recently. Uh, it's just, it's incredible the amount of people that, uh, that are crossing our, our little doorstep here. And this show is going to be huge. And it's going to be, it's just a matter of breaking through the censorship, getting some big sponsors, you know, getting that, that, that huge marketing budget, getting all the things that, uh, the big stations have that they don't want to share. You know, I think Heritage should donate you know, 1% of their budget to us, considering we're doing like 99% of their work for them. So uh, that, that's just, and Heritage, you, you want to talk to me about that? Give me a call. 
happy to put you on the show, and uh, and we'll talk about uh, an equitable arrangement here of, of our bills for sure money. <laughs> That'd be kind of fun. All right, uh, just got a few more things to play. It's 10 minutes uh, past 10 here, so I'm about 10 minutes overtime. But uh, Block Talk does give a little bit of overtime. It's one of the, the good things about them. So I'll play a couple things and with a musical selection uh, on my way out, so you can stick around and listen for that. And let me see what else we've got here. So I was going to, I was going to, I was going to start here. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend, Jason Myers, and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. This is Greg Penglis for Strikeforce, your source for pure energy. Strikeforce is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code, WYL, to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engines. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. And so I'm off for the next couple of days because nobody's going to be listening anyway. It's uh, Thanksgiving and then Black Friday, uh, and then we have Saturday and Sunday, and then I guess, uh, uh, what is it, Internet Monday, or, or I forgot what it's called, uh, um, Electronic Monday, or something like that. But I, I've named Tuesday as Refund Tuesday. <laughs> so if you bought stuff you don't like. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, so you've got uh, Thanksgiving, Black Friday, 
um, Internet Monday, <laughs> whatever it is, Sales Monday, Online Sales, Online Monday, um, and then, of course, Refund Tuesday. That'll do it. I mean, I'm back Monday. And so we can talk about that. We can talk about everything that's going on. And as we prepare for the Christmas season, which I guess people are already doing, so most of the trees are probably going to go up. Uh, if they aren't up already, they're going to be up uh, probably this weekend. So Thanksgiving, um, tomorrow, and then Saturday and Sunday is tree trimming. Uh, our anniversary, our fourth year uh, on Blog Talk, uh, four-year anniversary, and is December 24th. So it's the day before Christmas. I actually started this 20, uh, December 24th of 2018. So it was Christmas Eve. So it's easy for me to remember our anniversary. So we'll have Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve is on a Sunday, and I mean Christmas is on a Sunday. So uh, we'll, we'll probably do the Friday show. Will be our, our Christmas uh, and an anniversary show combined. And then uh, New Year's, we've got a lot of stuff to do. We're looking for some big sponsors, uh, gun companies, uh, emergency food supply companies. You know all the folks that you know Black Rifle Coffee. I mean all the people that uh, better known companies, Christian companies, all the folks that the left doesn't want to uh, uh, see sponsoring shows. You're welcome here at Action Radio. So that's going to be a big push. We're going to try and get some, some major sponsors and really have this show grow as we work with the Trump campaign, getting our citizen legislation to them, and hopefully they will be running on it. Things like um, the big bill, let's just say about this one, um, that would uh, take away the power of Congress to borrow money. That would bring us unparalleled. That would be like the, 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 the greatly roaring 20s again. So the roaring 20s were big in 1920, but we can make the, the 20s, you know, the 2020s roar uh, unbelievably. And so that's what we need to do. So let me find an inspiring, I found an inspiring piece of music here to, to let you all go. Uh, so enjoy your four days. I'll be back Monday. So again, Thanksgiving tomorrow, Friday, Black Friday for all your shoppers, Saturday and Sunday, who knows, recovery day, tree trimming day. And uh, Monday is, uh, you know, whatever that is, <laughs> you know, invoice, electronic shopping Monday, and then refund Tuesday. But I'll be back Monday, so at 7 o'clock in the morning, Central Time, Monday, 7 a.m. Central Time. See you then. Enjoy the music. And I will talk to you next week.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.